Israel has implemented a policy. The English language, it's, it's mowing the grass. Dahiwa is the, the policy that the Israelis have put on it. Mowing the grass, what does that mean? It sounds nice. It sounds copacetic, mowing the grass. It means mowing the people, mowing the Palestinian people, mowing the children of Palestine, mowing the women of China. And when I say mow, I mean kill. I mean murdering them, knocking them down like, a, like, like you would grass at harvest, mowing the grass. It's Israel's policy of disproportionate force. It's Israel's policy of deliberately targeting civilian populations to crush the will to resist. It is, by definition, a war crime. You are not allowed to deliberately target civilian populations. International humanitarian law has made this clear. And yet Israel not only does it, but acknowledges it as its official policy. And the world is silent. The world is silent. Nobody speaks out about this. Nobody has spoken out about it. It's allowed to happen because that's the way it is. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, November 3rd, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Definitely a hard show to go over today. There's a lot of really difficult topics and difficult things to just graphic discussions about horrible things happening. And I, I mean, a lot of it's been like that since we've, since the seventh. Oh, I'm, did I, I wonder if I accidentally did that. On, I hope I didn't just do that. I think I just bumped my button and took myself away. Otherwise I hadn't been live this whole time. In any case, I'll just start over in case I didn't hit that button. <laughs> I apologize. So you guys understand what I might have just happened is my new setup, even though I'm doing it for a minute now, my fingers are closer than usual the way I was set up. And I think I just bumped the button that brought me off live. But in any case, Friday, November 3rd, 2023, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's a, it's an important show as always, but some really, as I was saying, in case you couldn't hear me, a, a difficult conversation to have. Because not only are we going to continue on the refugee camp to topic and cover what happened after that, but also the schools that have been attacked in this area in other locations and we recently have evidence of a united nations school live video and, and as well as the fact that we know it was bombed by israel evidence of white phosphorus being used on a un school when you can literally see children running in broad daylight it's it's a pretty unbelievable reality we're going to start today with a couple of quick points around some great articles that just came out but some other uh, medical freedom points that i wanted to include and then we're going to go over some important stuff today around both the historical aspects of the situation, a few more important parts about Hamas and where these the information stems from. 
We'll also talk about some new developments in regard to more statements being put forward by Israeli politicians, the seeming willful ignorance of Western politicians in regard to what they're saying and the reality of what it demonstrates about their indiscriminate bombing and deliberate targeting of civilians. That's now per Amnesty International, per Human Rights Watch. Even the United Nations has made clear. I mean, there's no way to misunderstand. If you're bombing United Nations buildings full of United Nations members, it's hard not to see that as a deliberate targeting of civilians, or in this case, international bodies that help civilians, because I guess that's off limits too. Now, the white phosphorus point we're going to make again, but we're going to go over a lot today that I think really ties a lot of this together for the average person, and I'm going to do my best to try to get this done under two hours. Let's see if I can make it happen, or even shorter, but I want to shout out a couple of important things in regard to some content that just went out today, really Proud to have a, a fantastic new editor on the team. She's doing a great job breaking some stuff out, giving, me, giving myself some more time to focus on the show and plenty of other things. This one came out today from Josh Walkos. Shadow armies are waging an invisible war on us all. And this is an important article in regard to the topic of fifth generation warfare and, and how this is not a new topic, but we really need to understand why this is so important in the way that they manipulate not just our perception of things, but actually manipulate real world conversations, real world actions, but into the digital world of this as well, how much this has expanded and what that means to terrifying reality. Make sure you check this out as well as his recent work for T-Lab around BlackRock, more coming that way. Another really heart-wrenching discussion, breaking down the illusory, the lies in this topic. And this is one from Robert Inlakesh. I believe this is his third in a focus kind of on the, the fact the misinformation coming out of the from the ground in regard to Palestine, the war on Gaza so far, truth and lies. And he goes over October 7th, mytho, myth, uh, mythology versus reality, he goes over the article points that we made in regard to his work. It's an important discussion, so make sure you check this out. A lot of this you've heard me discuss, but it's important to hear it. Let's not forget that Roberts had family that's been killed in Gaza. And nonetheless, I mean, my my opinion, believe, read it for yourself and you and let me know what you think. I believe he's being wildly objective, more than people that don't have family killed in this situation. And I think that deserves respect. Now, Derek just put this up a little bit before I was getting ready. The power of confronting members of the political class. This was an important one because he goes over a recent Alex Rosen. He caught live being dragged out you know, for voicing his opinion in front of Hillary Clinton. And makes this point, of, and this was his work about Peter Hotez, but it makes this point about, you know, whether this is something that's, I quite frankly think this is important work. And I think that, you know, there's a difference between like ambush journalism and, and trying to get it, engagement with people that would never otherwise allow the average person to ask questions. And that th those things blur often. But I tend to see ambush journalism in the way that we see it in a negative light today as things that, you know, where people are ambushing people and asking questions that are they know they'll never get an answer for. I, it's, I mean, it's hard to explain in, in a quick opening, but I think you guys know the difference between people that have negative and bad intentions and people like Derek, in my opinion, that just want to ask a, a question that is never going to be allowed to be asked in any other context. And so you get... 30 seconds with Peter Hotez outside when he doesn't realize who you are and you ask him a question and then he flees when he realizes, but you get a good clip from that. And he's been doing really great work on that. In, in my opinion, we saw him with, uh, with Brennan getting him live in that regard and getting him even to answer a question that I thought was really important. So I, this is important work, I think. So check this out. Oh, and this was the same one. Now I want to open with a couple, uh, make sure I didn't miss an article there. Hold on. 
I want to start with some important COVID-19 medical freedom points that I think are powerful, that I hope you didn't miss. Make sure I didn't. Uh, and by the way, this this image is real, by the way. This was uh, people protesting during, for those in the podcast, it's the image of the show today, where Blinken and I forget who was with him, but they were another member of the American, you know, the U.S. government, and he was there basically t- whitewashing what's going on. More than once this has happened, where they've voted down a ceasefire more than once. There are people protesting in that way as well. But here, where they're basically trying to whitewash what's going on, people are calling calling them out. And I love seeing all the red hands. I mean, you have blood on your hands. You guys are a part of this. Making sure I didn't miss an article here for you guys to check out. Now it looks like we grabbed them all. Okay, so to start in general, don't miss this. Kevin McKernan deserves your respect for the specifically for this DNA conversation. He says, we, Refugee of Sinners points out, we are shotgunning lots of DNA into billions of people. Some of this DNA may hit germlines. Think eggs and sperm. 50 to 100 billion lipid nanoparticles in these shots. If 1% gets to the ovaries, then you are talking about 40 to 400 million of these things hitting 300,000 oocytes. This is a a radical decay in biomedical ethics. That's that's a a nice way to put that, I would argue. We are, and I mean, it's meant to be scathing, but the point is, my God, the the level to the awareness, what they know of this, that they know this is happening from the beginning, mind you, and then those that even didn't, and now continuing to hide it from you. I mean, this is just sinister. We are, why, he says, why are we tolerating this experimental use on tools that are poorly characterized, mandated with liability protection? It's really terrifying to realize that this has not even slowed down in the sense that they're like the way that they're presenting it. People have just stopped taking it, but that's very different than, I mean, I'll I'll show you some of these next clips next, that this is not even slowing down. There's places in Canada, I'll show you in a minute, that are now, now stepping up. Children now need two of these shots going right back to the same game. This is with everything that we've proven. And this is not like it was in the beginning. The, 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 no matter what anybody says, the body of science around the risk, the lack of efficacy is wildly slanted on everything we were saying from the very beginning. That's, don't hear me wrong. That's not to say that everything we thought is exactly the exact. There's a lot of stuff that I theorized about that I, I'm sure there's something out there that I theorized about that didn't end up the way we thought it would. But the point is that the information is, is overwhelmingly on the side that these things are not safe, that they're not working. Or, you know, unless they were designed this way, which is something we should be asking. But it's stuff like this that makes it unreal, obvious. This is, there's no way, looking back on this situation, let's say 20, 30, however long it takes for us to actually regain our our sanity after this madness, post the war that follows, to see this with clear eyes and, and, and ask, and just come to the reality that this has been the most obvious thing Cover up that, that I think we're ever going to see that every single metric is exploding infertility, excess death, ex, I mean, across the board and almost exactly aligned with the, the level of vaccination. This is from uh, the Economist, and this is even from June of this year. And you guys have already seen this global, global fertility, guys. <laughs> Global fertility has collapsed with profound economic consequences. And the, re- the reason I think they were so f in every way, trying to allot every kind of thing that this was that like that I would argue the injections were causing onto some kind of new characteristic of whatever COVID became that day, the new variant or the new thing or the new, the, the tridemic or whatever the new terms were expanding out the 
symptoms to be just literally everything under the sun, because then no matter how bad this gets, they can always be like, well, it might've been COVID that caused it. And we're still trying to figure that out. You don't see a global fertility change like this, unless you saw something that was administered globally that had never been done before or something like that. There's no, you don't have a, a fleeting and I, even, even a pandemic is still fleeting. It's something that comes and it goes and it's not all encompassing all at once. It's all, it's almost always regional. This is something that has been global. I just, I really hope that sinks in for people. There's no way we can't recognize that this is because of the gene therapy that is murdering people. And I mean that word because people knew it from the beginning. Global fertility. Now let's stand back and go, well, maybe they really did. Like even myself, mind you, because I pushed back and I still have my mis my hesitancy about whether depopulation just as a blunt concept was what this was about. But my God, my point is even I was kind of like, well, I don't think that's as simple as that. But look at what we're staring at. Kind of hard not to think that at the very least was one of the main objectives here. Now, Ozzy17 points out that eminent Swiss bio uh, microbiologist and specialist in infectious diseases, Professor Dr. Petro Vernaza, who served as the chief physician of the Clinic for Infectious Diseases and Hospital Hygiene at the St. Gallen Cantonal Hospital, you know, your classic anti-science conspiracy theorist, calls for more study before we distribute any more mRNA vaccines, talks about enormous declines in birth rates, quote, largest decline ever in all of history. I mean, it's just, that's kind of ridiculous to be like, well, let's invest. We're, we're still not sure. We're baffled. Well, I'm not. Quote, when have we had such a high decline in birth rates? Initially in the first seven months of 2022, this decline was as large as we are ever, we've ever, I think it keeps ever or never in all of history since we have been documenting the birth rate. The point is we saw that in early 2020 or in the first seven months of 2022 which by the way, was the first wave of the side effects of what they were giving people. Now we've seen it worse than ever. Of course, then they were going COVID. But the whole point was by this first seven months of 2022, people had been vaccinated around the world. And they, so clearly at the very least that didn't work, but I think we know it did in a lot of ways, but that's probably still gonna be missed by a lot of people. But anyway, the bottom line is it's obvious and everybody, even people like this are now going, whoa, hold on now, let's just take a beat. Well, you know what? We should have said that in 2020, when we were like, let's just wait, find, let's just see if this is right. Let's, once we started realizing, oh, the 3.6 fatality rate was actually completely made up. Whoa, 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 pause. Let's wait and find out. Let's research. No, because the trust the science crowd, mind you, were the ones pushing past the science <laughs> and just let's give it quickly. It's, that's not what they were saying, of course. But if we look back at t- that's how that went down. We were the ones going, wait, 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 there's not enough research. Wait, hold on. This, this doesn't seem to add up. And the trust the science crowd were going, you're crazy. Trust the science. Let's quickly do this. Again, not what they would frame it as, but that's what happened. Now, here's where we are today. Not exactly today, but this is very recent. This is from Canada. I mean, I I, I really, if she hadn't have said XBB15 in this clip, I would have bet my life this was from two years ago. Check this out. This is now talk to you about Health Canada's authorization of the new Moderna Spikevax COVID-19 vaccine targeting the Omicron XBB 1.5 subvariant. Right. You know, the variant, first of all, that we've already proven has basically ceased. As Dr. Peter McCullough pointed out, it was basically 2.8% was still, sur- it was gone. When this came out, it had already left. 
according to their information. Again, we could argue that that's all the facade that's not there. But my point is that within their data, even that didn't add up because it had already gone away. And so they were giving this based on the the carryover of information from eight mice from a previous shot. No human trial. I mean, this was a facade. And even then, I don't care how, the very first shot, that thing was killing people and dangerous and nobody should have taken it. We need to understand that today. Now, they are now pushing this over and e telling children to get this thing, even though we know that even, even in the beginning, it was less than the flu, according to peer-reviewed science from the Ionitis group, which has now been peer-reviewed and has been confirmed. And I mean, like multiple studies have found the same, that this thing was always less than the flu. It's now less than ever. And that children are at least risk than anybody anywhere, if even affected at all. And then we're forcing a shot that's less tested at any point in this entire situation with more things. I mean, it's just, this is madness. And now she's going, let's give them two children. I mean, they're, I mean, we're under a thousand, even in their information for how many we've seen. Like, I think the, anyway, I, I'm not, I don't want to get too mired in this because this is just as obvious as it gets. And I don't think anybody here is even questioning this, but just realize that people like this behind the scenes, when we're focused elsewhere are now trying to give these shots to your children more than ever with everything that we've proven. We've authorized this vaccine for people six months of age and older. The vaccine was authorized after an independent and thorough scientific review for safety, efficacy, and quality. Oh, completely false. Literally, absolutely, thoroughly false. Just because the FDA, and by the way, every time people in the FDA meeting are like, wow, we don't know, this doesn't seem like it adds up, happens anyway, every time. The point is there was no, the FDA reviewed the lack of information. All they did is carried over information from the previous one. So since we all rubber stamped it last time, I guess we'll rubber stamp it again. That's what happened. The data is not present. We're not in some rapid emergency time frame either. So there's no real explanation for why they just skipped over what used to take two and a half years. It's because this is the new normal, like they told you they would make. After assessing all the data, we've concluded that there is strong evidence showing that the benefits of this vaccine outweigh the potential risks. Ah, the potential risks. So that, that, when they say potential, that means they don't even fully understand the risk of something that's barely just came around. The point is that means there is no risk. We don't know, though. It could be super deadly, like they keep arguing. It's more transmissible, but we're still trying to find out if it's more deadly. It takes you a hell of a long time to find out if it's more deadly. No, it's just because you keep it ambiguous. Outweighs the potential risk. So the, the, the benefits, which you're still flushing out because there's no long-term studies and because you never tested on pregnant women or people with immunocompromised or elderly people or any of it, still the reality. They just point at real-world examples. Meanwhile, that actually proves that it's hurting people. They just ignore the facts, like we keep showing you, in their own data. But yeah, because they reviewed it, the, the benefits outweigh the potential risk. We're still at that ridiculous game. Individuals who are five years of age and older should receive one dose of the vaccine, regardless of the COVID-19 vaccination history. Okay, so if you've had five shots, you should still get one more, she's saying. Because that makes no sense at all. And children between six months and four years of age should receive two doses if they have not previously been vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine. And if they have been previously vaccinated with one or more doses, they should receive a single dose. And as she, as she wears a mask that has zero effect on what she's actually pretend she's wearing it for and is not some kind of fitted N95. That is a straight up old mask that is in fact, completely open on the sides that has no real statistically significant effect on what she believes she's doing. These people are st still pretending to be the leaders of your health. And they still have not even understood the basic reality of how that mask does not work the way they think it does. That's terrifying. 
But this is what's actually what's still happening. This is not going away. Now, into a couple of other points around AI, Twitter, and some other things before we start on the important discussion of a new development in Syria. Well, technically not a new development, but something that I want you guys not to miss in Syria from Seymour Hirsch. But this is interesting. If you didn't see this, make sure you understand that this is, I mean, as much as I think this is pretty benign because it happens literally everywhere, to some people, this is still a big story. And ultimately, this is a very clear example. Judge overturns Bridgeport Democrat mayoral primary election, calling evidence of fraud shocking. The volume of ballots so mishandled is such that it calls the results of the primary election into serious doubt and leaves the court unable to determine the legitimate legitimate results of the primary. Do you realize this is what they pretend happens in Syria and Bolivia and Iran? Or and, and talk to Pasta, Craig Craig Jardula, who's an international observer who goes to places in, in in South America and all over, and will tell you up and down how much better their systems can can be. Not everywhere, but many examples where he's seen them do it in one location, per person ballot, counted in front of you with huge populations. My point is that everything that they pretend they're pointing out, this is what the reason is. It's either projection or trying to hide. I mean, they're doing it is the point. Everywhere, guys. This is your government's fraudulent system. And it's designed to be sloppy and impossible to understand. And so there's just all of these caveats and holes and levers and mechanisms. It's not. It's because they're cheaters. This system is so corrupt and decrepit. There, I, there's, I'll read my, my tweet. It's to the courts overturned this. Now, Elon Musk says, judge orders a new election in Connecticut town after surveillance video showed ballot stuffing and drop boxes. Nothing new, literally from any side ever. This ha- that this happened here is beyond reasonable doubt. The only question is how common is it? Well, that's my point. How common? Well, it's the norm, not the exception. We need to understand this, guys, especially coming up to the next selection. On all sides, mind you, not a left or a right thing. That's all that. See, I had you some people right up until that point. No, it's only the Democrats. No, it's only the Republicans. Go back to kindergarten. This is easy to prove, understand, on all sides. It's just being selectively highlighted to make it seem isolated and solvable. That's an important point. Because if we can pretend, oh, it's just the Republicans and oh, it's only the Democrats in this area. And we have to make sure it's always there. They'll cheat as much as they possibly can. And when we see the cheating, that's because they cheated a little bit too much. Now, I know I'm not going to say that I'm I can prove that in every circumstance with every politician everywhere. But I just mean trying to make a point that we need to understand this is the norm, not the exception. And again, we've proven this going back as far as you want to look. It is being selectively highlighted to make us believe that it's something that we can see, that they're honest because they're pointing it out and that we can fix it by voting in the next person they highlight. You see the scam? The system is not salvageable. I'm not talking about every single part of this. I'm talking about the current structure based on their current government. We're not going to vote somebody in. We need to wipe this clean. I don't have all the answers, but I sure as hell know that in your hearts, we all agree with that. The the problem is not us and our actions and our choices. We're always going to disagree. In fact, vehemently sometimes. But these people will abuse that and pit us against each other so they can maintain power over us. Now, in regard to Twitter, since we're mentioning Elon Musk, I wanted to make uh, two points on this that I think are interesting. First, Michael Schellenberger is pointing out he, he's honored to receive the Dow Prize for Journalism with Matt Taibbi and, and Barry Weiss, I guess, for the, for the Twitter files. Now, I, I'm actually, I actually respect Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger. I, I'm, I, I have my questions 
and doubts and cons- about why one, I feel like neither of them have really engaged or in- acknowledged that there has never been source material. And I know both of them know damn well that anything they've ever done before, which I can point to, has source material where you can verify what their assessments were. But for whatever reason, there's I, don't, I haven't seen any of them. Well, I take that back, actually. Matt Taibbi did make a statement kind of after that little riff with Elon and Substack where he kind of made that point. But none of the rest of them seem to have done that. We need to be, and this is just, I'll give a shout out to Mike OS here, as he just kind of says, and here's my thread on this, Twitter files part four. And he says, still waiting on those source docs, Shelly. I, I mean, at the very least, if I were Michael, I would be like, well, yeah, I, you know, I agree. I, I still stand by, look, my point's been the same from the beginning. I believe this was based on real stuff, but I still also maintain, and based on where we've ended up, that this was about training people to accept what they told them without actually proving it in the sense that we get to see it ourselves. Now, Michael and Matt, arguably, I can't say for sure, but it seems that they were able to look at this stuff. But then even they admitted it was selectively given to them. So we don't even know if what they saw was the full picture. So they could have gotten a crack through the door example that they thought made sense. Turns out there's 47,000 of the documents that make it look a little different. And even Matt, again, has made points like that. So we have to realize that this never ended up in a way that was, in my opinion, journalism. Not by in their regard, but in the fact that we as individuals were not able to confirm it, so it just ended up being hearsay. But again, things that I think a lot of it we've already proven before this ever happened. And so a lot of people were like, yes, that's the case, and much of it is. But then without realizing it, you became comfortable with taking at face value a screenshot of something you never actually got to look at. And that's why I've been saying that to people that, especially during, I think it was Hawaii, it happened a lot, and especially right now, you got Twitter filed. You shared something. You thought, look, it happened to me. We've all made mistakes like that. My point, though, is all this time, and we still have not seen source material. Oh, and then you know what what else we haven't seen? The Fauci files. And here is Matt making a pretty interesting admission here, or acknowledging this. This person says, in regard to, Matt tweet this out, the new Twitter file stories show, one, the CEO just goes over whatever they're saying these screenshots show, which... They might be right, but I just, I'm kind of tired of engaging with this without without knowing that we seem to never get anything to prove this, the, to, you know, like the point I'm trying to make is like, and you guys know this, if I take a screenshot of one paragraph and I send it to you, now that's going to be compelling if it says something that's really powerful and aligns what you think. But what if the other 17 paragraphs on that page make that paragraph then suddenly different? That's the context I'm talking about. So when we get these psych, these focus shots on it, we don't know if there's something else going on. And this, and that's what's being trained away from us right now. And I'm not saying they're doing mad or the rest of them are doing this on purpose. What I'm saying is that is what's happening by default without being able to look at it and verify it ourselves. And they know this well because they've sourced all their work before this. But he simply says, is Elon ever going to follow through with the Fauci files? Here's what he says. You can ask him, but we never found any Fauci files at Twitter. What? That doesn't make any sense because not only as Elon swore up and down, they were coming, which does implies that they were there, but we've had other people involved with this openly state that this was something they were working on. That is pretty suspicious to me. He tags all these people and says, and I did do multiple reports about Fauci based on subpoena documents and whistleblowing sources after the Twitter files. But my point is pretty easy, pretty easily seems to, it, this did not turn out the way we were promised. And if we can't admit that, then we have a different agenda than, tr- than the truth. Now, on re- and two last points in regard to the AI thing, which I think is interesting, overlap with Elon Musk. 
So right now, if you haven't seen it, there's this big argument that's been pushed into our consciousness right now by corporate media where they're battling about good versus bad AI. Nowhere in the conversation about whether all of it will be bad and maybe none of it should happen. Of course, that's that's what's called that false dichotomy, right? They, they drive you in the problem reaction solution way where they go, here, here's all the best of the AI coming from people that nobody trusts. And then somebody like Elon steps in and goes, but, but, but Elon, AI will hurt us all unless we do it right. Now, who's going to disagree with that? Well, maybe some of us that go, how about we don't do it at all? <laughs> well, no, that's not even possible. You see, so we've already gotten pushed into a beginning conversation where the, there is no option to say no. It's like either this one or that one. Pick the right one. Well, the whole, as long as you pick one, you're going in the direction they want you to. That's how I view this. So Elon has been arguing that what they want to do is dangerous and is going to hurt, destroy humanity. There's a few of them like that. So guess what? He steps up and says, I boycott AI because it's going to hurt people. No, 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 of course not. He says... I'll make an AI. I'll make the good version of the AI that will save you all. We can't be this easy to fool, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's my opinion, obviously, but it's how this always goes, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the idea that you got the insider, the billionaire that says, I'm the good one, that I'll make the right one. Self-proclaimed AI savior Elon Musk will launch his own artificial intelligence tomorrow, which I guess he just made it in 24 hours. No, of course not. He's been working on it which is kind of hard to think that wasn't planned as he tries to avoid tech destroying humanity. Elon is set to roll out the first model of his AI powered system called XAI. <laughs> what a coincidence on Saturday, one day after he proclaimed the tech is the biggest risk to humanity. Man, oh man. Well, I sure hope to everything that he is actually trying to help everybody. Otherwise we're in some trouble because far too many people are going, yay, Elon saved free speech. Now he's going to save the artificial intelligence. Isn't that terrifying? Because he sure as hell didn't save free speech, but we'll see what happens. Now, one last point. John Cusack makes an interesting statement here, and I don't know if this is even true. I can't, it, I wouldn't trust that he knows how to discern what these sources are accurate or not. But he says, I've got a source at Twitter that can confirm that I and others are being intentionally targeted by, ex by Twitter executives and cycled in and out of total blackout to mediocre. Well, first I'm like, okay, well, it's hard to believe seeing as how he's, you know, towed plenty of lines during COVID and plenty of other things. But if you take a quick look at his account, guess what? He's super pro right now. Palestine. Sharing, going after it. That's fake. This is real. Here's what's going on. They're bombing schools. So it's not hard to wrap our mind around that somebody with a 1.8 million person reach might be shadow banned if he happens to go, Israel's killing people, right? That's very interesting to me. So you guys can decide for yourself if he's has a source or, you know, I mean, but it's not hard to think, wrap your mind around the idea that they would shadow ban somebody that is very popular or it has the reach that might be saying the wrong thing. Very interesting to me. Now, in regard to Syria, I want to make sure you guys saw this. This is from uh, Mint Press News. Seymour Hirsch publishes leaked memo undermining U.S. narrative on 2013 Syria sarin attack. Now, this is really important as much as it's going to be really hard for people to get the, get people's attention on this because of how much else is going on. It really does play an important factor in regard to who these people are, what they're willing to lie about, who they support. That's important for today's show. Usually the bad guys, it's not usually the simplest good bad guys, but usually the worst of the worst because they're easier to manipulate with money and letting them do whatever they want. They get to, you know, that's kind of what happens. But also the interesting discussion of chemical weapons and whether or not that's something we're about to see again and whether or not that's something that we can prove is going to be manipulated by one of the sides trying to frame the other, you know, a false flag. Well, you guys can decide. But first of all, 
Seymour Hirsch, by the way, has some pretty, you know, interestingly enough, some very, you know, he's upset a lot of mainstream people with his in, his factual coverage of the Nord Stream bombing by U.S. government and their their entities. But he still has a lot of clout with the, even the mainstream. And because of his very powerful work, he's also now gained and maintained a lot of clout with just average people. So he has a really interesting way of straddling that line. So here's what he puts out this document from Syria. Now, Aaron Matei wrote, it says the bombshell is pointed out by, by Aaron Matei as well. When U.S. accused Syria of the August 2013 sarin attack. So they, they accused the Syrian government. Remember, in Ghouta, we covered that one, like all the rest. It concealed what U.S. intelligence actually said. And by the way, this is also what Carla Del Ponte said before this, I believe, about a, situ a similar situation where they were accusing the, the government of Syria. And she said, well, no, the rebels, which, by the way, were Al-Qaeda, they always were, had the, the sarin, right? So it's the same point. But what their intel actually said was that Al-Qaeda, which we know by today is basically what was somebody else's called proxy army of the, of the U.S. government, or I think they use a different term, but we can prove this. Ben Swan's excellent documentary, same with James Corbett's information. The receipts are there. It's not even debatable. Al-Qaeda, at worst, or like however you want to frame that, at, at the least amount in the situation has been funded, armed, supported, used by the U.S. government, but in fact created. Longs, I mean, we go back to the Mujahideen, we go even before that. It's very clear this is what they do. His point is, though, that even then, and this shows you how easily they lie about this, and, and you can ask yourself why they might want to cover for Al-Qaeda, and it only makes sense if they're working with them, that they, in fact, had an advanced sarin production cell. So if they knew that, and now we now prove that it wasn't Assad, that means it's very clear who actually carried this out. And this is in the early days when they were, there's times where they were, you, you know, faking it, carrying out fake attacks. And then blaming it on Amy, the U.S. would say it was they, they did it and we can prove it, even though you could later prove it didn't even happen. But these were real chemical attacks. Just like with Saddam Hussein or in, in Iran, we know that they, he was provided chemical weapons by the U.S. government and then used them. You know, this is what they do. And then later he became the bad guy. Everybody out there, that's what happens when you work with the, you know, work with these entities. My point is, Seymour Hirsch has published the full U.S. intelligence memo for the first time, which breaks down the reality that they knew this, that they hid this from everybody, and they blamed it on Syria because they wanted to get rid of Assad, which tomorrow I'll be having an excellent interview going out with uh, Kibor Kalmasian of Syrian Analysis, where he believes, that based on his sources and his intelligence and his research, that Assad might that, well, that the U.S. government is seeking to assassinate him for two reasons: one, simply just to get a political benefit before the election, and two, because they think this will have an important impact on what's going on in Israel. Well, that will hurt Lebanon as well. And the idea is simply that he believes that everybody right behind Assad is super pro-Israel. So it's a really interesting, and it shows you what kind of people we're talking about here in regard to the rules-based international order. The very people that would frame this person for being the villain that they really are. The worst of the worst. But Seymour Hirsch really doing a great job. Now, in regard to Iran, interesting overlap with the same concept. They say that everything happening in Syria is Iran's fault or by default then Russia too. Never proving any of this other than that they're simply allied, which is could it could mean that they're directing all of this. I mean, today there's more likelihood than ever seeing as how they all are actively trying to push back against the occupying forces. But ultimately, that it's never really as simple as it's just Iran. That's just the way they pretend makes their, their illegal actions justified, even though nobody legally can even make that argument because it doesn't. 
You don't just get to say Iran is there, therefore we can break the law. It doesn't happen that way, especially since they're allowed to be there. Only one that is. Syria is not. Israel bombs all the time. They're not allowed to do any of that. U.S. is still occupying Syria. Everybody acknowledges an illegal occupation. But now the House, the U.S. House, not all, not the Senate yet. So I, I doubt it's going to happen, at least in this form. But the House passes a resolution that suggests using force against Iran. Now, they, if you're confused by that, I mean, you should be, really, because what we're talking about is a very obvious genocide being committed by Israel against the Palestinian people. And the U.S. is going, let's bomb Iran. <laughs> I mean, the reason that seems like it doesn't make sense is because they are acting like we all have maintained this fake ar argument that somehow everything here is because of Iran, that Hamas is existing because of it's, it's already they've broken this. We know the U.S. and Israel have funded and created them. So you can't pretend it's a, a, an Iran proxy. At the very least, you could argue that they later ally, al aligned with them, but that's still your fault for creating them. My point, though, is that it's always about trying to frame this as a bigger axis of evil conversation, and we'll get to that later. But here's the important part. The argument they're actually using is embarrassing. I don't even, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering whether these politicians are even tapped into the current reality of the situation. The House on Wednesday passed a resolution that suggested the U.S. would use force against Iran in the future in, in the name of preventing the country from acquiring a nuclear weapon. That is such weak language because it's not even to suggest that we think they might or they have one. We just will, if that, that is the Bethlehem doctrine in this situation. We're going to argue that we have to preemptively defend ourselves because we think they might make that choice later in the future. It's like, whoa, whoa, you guys are getting a little ahead of your, that's what they do. It's the same thing they do in every circumstance. It happened with the limpet mines and Bolton saying that we have a credible threat, which was basically Iran moving ships to their own harbors. That's what they do, guys. That's the Bethlehem doctrine is an Israeli, UK, United States game they play to allow themselves to bomb and murder without any justification. We all see through it, but they still get away with it half the time or most of the time. But here's the worst part of it. They're not working towards a nuclear weapon. You know why I know that? Well, I know that because I've been watching and been studying this and listening to the International Atomic Energy Agency. And, and interestingly enough, over all these years where they say they're just about to do nothing and ultimately happen, they're not. And we've proven this. Robert's proven this. Not only are they don't believe this from a religious standpoint, but we can prove that they're not. And you know also why I know that? Because the U.S. government just said so. That's the embarrassing part. U.S. intelligence assessment says Iran not currently developing nuclear weapons. And if you read into this, coming from the State Department, coming from intelligence, and the International Atomic Energy Agency that says not like they're just not there yet, that they're not. And Israel got really upset about that because they've been lying about this for 20 plus years. The resolution says a nuclear-armed Iran is unacceptable. So these are people trying to create a, a justification to make Iran. They want you to go, oh, yeah, Iran bad guy, because we're going to pull them into this thing right now. Not because Iran's doing that, but because the U.S. government and Israel are doing that. And they're all just like always, they're going to say Iran did it, right? As they break their arm and punch them in the face, then Iran does something. Oh, they did it. They're them. They're doing something. It's their fault. Typical. Now, in regard to other points in, in the hypocrisy of all of this, the United Nations voted, as they do every year, every country in the world has condemned the U.S. blockade on Cuba. Oh, you didn't know it was still going? You know why? Because it's the good guy. <laughs> the illegal blockade that we don't care about. Or the illegal blockade on Yemen. Or the illegal blockade in Gaza. Who cares, right? Because we're the good guys. It's just embarrassing. Everybody can begin to see through this because they have broken the game. So my point is that everybody votes. Cuba is still being illegally blockaded all that time ago, with the exception of the United States and Israel, 
Everybody else condemned it. Isn't that interesting? So the only two, what it shows you is that only people are aligning with U.S. and Israel surface level right now because like, I feel like there's a lot more going on than realize. Probably even violence and threats and assassination kind of stuff. But my point is they all see it from, from a political standpoint and realize that what's happening is grotesque and wrong. Not that they have a moral compass, but that they just see that it's politically not beneficial. You know why? Because almost every person alive can see that this is disgusting. And my point is that the blockade, that the siege on Gaza, well, if they if they vote no on a blockade for Cuba, well, it's going to make them look pretty dumb because you're doing the same thing to Gaza. So oh, they vote no. And guess who abstained? Ukraine. It's just so embarrassing. Everybody, guys, that they have broken this and they, the world is shifting. As I've often pointed out, they shift because not, not because I think they want good things or are good people, but because they see the, the writing on the wall. It's politically advantageous for them to go, okay, I see the momentum. I'm going to pretend I care about this. Now, this is in regard to Ukraine. It says, exhausted and disappointed with allies, Ukraine's president and military chief warn of long attrition war. Now, that's not how that's going to work out. You're not going to wear them down over a long time. What this is, what you, Ukraine is, Zelensky and his extremists have lost this. That's already happened. It happened months ago. They've just been dragging this on to keep Russia in the mire this was always meant to be. The point is he's upset because he's no longer getting the attention that he wants. They're focused elsewhere. But I think that's very telling because he's constantly trying. And we already told you, he tried a while back. He tried to get on with Oprah. He tried to get on. And they, they simply said, no, <laughs> he does not have the pull that he thought he did. It's all because they wanted to benefit from it. Now, this is really interesting in the point of Ukraine. Ignorance, the roots, the root and stem of all evil point this out. Now, I can't I, I don't know how we would verify this. So you guys can decide for yourself if you think this is real. But I thought this was interesting. This has been put around. That's, they're claiming representatives of Hamas organization published a video in which they thank President Zelensky for weapons and assistance in the fight against Israel. Well, look, we've already proven beyond a doubt that weapons, whether by black market or delivery, are ending up in Israel because of what was sent to Ukraine. But when we know that Hamas was created and still has influence to some degree or influence by Israel and the U.S., but even to the point where some Israelis argue that they worked with them to carry out what happened on the 7th, then we should ask whether that might actually be more real than we think. It says, our fight against this brutal occupation continues. We express our gratitude to the president of, U of Zelensky, of Ukraine, Zelensky, for his help in our fight against the Zionist occupiers. Well, it's interesting, right? Because this, I mean, this doesn't seem to add up. For, this could very well just be some kind of a joke, but it doesn't make any sense to me because if this is... Well, let me finish it. It says, previously, there was videos going viral online showing Western weapons in the possession of Hamas, which is true. On October 23rd, representatives of the U.S. Republican Party demanded that Lloyd Austin, oh, that's who was with Blinken, by the way, investigate how American weapons ended up in the hands of Hamas. Well, you can hear this. This is in, well, it doesn't, it's in, it's in Arabic. My brothers and sisters, God Almighty. Nuclear weapons and military equipment from the Ukrainian army. So what's interesting is so this so these people say, you know that that Arabic is way off, but it's funny nonetheless. And if you listen to everyone in the comments, it's like everyone's like that's not real, like it's someone. But I don't understand how this would be like. I'm not disputing it could be fake, but okay. So if it's somebody pretending to be Hamas, why would they then state that they got weapons from Ukraine? Like, what's the agenda there? That hurts the agenda. So that would arguably mean that it. it if it was really Hamas, 
that they'd be saying this to expose that, which would mean they don't work for these people. But if they like, see what I mean, like there's no way that this ends up making sense to me because people, it seems like, as this person points out, no, that we can prove by the way, and this, this is important, by the way, we've already gone over this. You can prove this. The, the weapons they're dumping into Ukraine are ending up all over the black market. So it just as easily could have ended up there for any number of reasons. But this person says, I like how the Zionists dismiss this as fake without a second thought, but believe everything else that fits their narrative. And you can play that any way you want. It's not just Zionists. Anybody in the two-party paradigm does this, but or anybody, people do this. But he's right, though, right? You get these things where somebody, I'll show you one in a minute, where they're like, here's a bloody hand. It, that's what they did to this woman. It's like, well, how do I know that? You can, that that's a, an image. We don't know what happened or who did it. And they go, we know because the Israel told us. But this comes out and they go, fake, because it doesn't make us look good. But my point is, why, how do you deny this from a pro-Israel perspective? If it's not correct Arabic, that would then imply that somebody, like, why would Hamas pretend they were getting weapons from Ukraine? If we know that Ukraine is working alongside Israel or that Israel openly supports Ukraine, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, I'll leave it there because it's, I'm just, I'm more asking questions. So if you guys find out more about this, let me know. But I think it does line up in an interesting way. If Hamas doesn't realize that Ukraine is aligned with Israel, or at least Zelensky, that they might be saying, or they might be lying about this, let's say, to make that or expose that connection. I don't know. Interesting, though. Let's not forget that Israel has been funding the Azov movement for years. That's written in the Times of Israel. And we know that Kolomoisky, who is the chief financier of Zelensky's campaign, who works for the World Jewish Congress, or was at one point the head of it, is also the chief backer of the Azov movement. So you have open funding of neo-Nazi fascists from an, an Israeli Jewish perspective. It's very strange, unless you realize that the Zionist overlap doesn't really care about that. And they've always tried to align themselves with Nazis or extremist fascists. And we'll show you that again in a minute in this section right here. So on that note, let's talk about Hamas for a second. Here's, here's our good old friend, Alan Dershowitz, who I'll just do show you this first, you know, the caliber of people calling for the indiscriminate murder of Palestinians, ladies and gentlemen. Alan Dershowitz famously said, sure, I got a massage at Jeffrey Epstein's mansion, but I kept my underwear on. That's his, that he'll go down with, that'll be on his tombstone. Because we all know when, when that, if you had an underwear massage at Epstein's, you're I'm pretty sure you knew what was going on. But anyway, the point is, he says, oh, let me, let me I think, let me, I have to preface it first. Let me just play what he says here first. This guy, it's just gross. The people are exposing who they really are. Let's not forget that. In, in these people that are trying to pretend like, you know, there's nobody really innocent over there. That's, that's the message he's giving here. They all voted for Hamas. Well, that's not even true. First of all, even if they did have a vote last year, you can't say they all voted. Like that's the same, like there's plenty of people here that didn't vote for Trump that would freak out if you align, if they, any, the people wanted America to collapse because Trump was in power, right? So this idea that we can just go, oh, well, they all voted him in and think that every member, even of Hamas or all Palestinians are all the same. We all know how stupid that is. That is pure ignorance. It's hatred. It's bigotry. It's racism. But these days, if you, uh, if you aim it at the right group, well, then you're an honorable person in the mainstream perspective. The citizens of Gaza, these innocent civilians who so many people are shedding tears about, they voted for Hamas in the last election. And they would probably vote for Hamas today. So, yeah. So we'll just blindly assume what they would want to do today. And so that means we can murder them all, which is the point. Like the only reason for this is to argue that they're not that innocent. So as we indiscriminately bomb their homes, then, you know, well, well wishy-washy, who cares, right? Because they're kind of innocent. They're kind of not innocent. Like, actually take a minute to digest how disgusting that argument is. You're, you're literally creating the argument that, that rationalizes 
open genocide. Are, are, you, are you trying to tell me, Dershowitz, that the baby that was born yesterday during war voted for Hamas? Or what about the disabled person that's been cared for his whole entire life? Or what about all the UN members that have been bombed since they've been there? Did they vote for Hamas? Like, you're a fool. And I think he knows that. I think people are being driven by whatever pressure right now to make themselves look like complete fools for this agenda. That is the Zionist manipulation of people. Or they're so hardcore pro-Zionist that they're willing to destroy their own credit, their own whatever whatever credibility they may have maintained throughout their disgusting careers. I mean, it blows me away. They're non-combatants. They're civilian. And they would probably vote for Hamas today. So, yeah, they're non-combatants. They're civilians. But they're supporters of Hamas. Yeah, they're, yeah they may be civilians. Too bad, then. Like, you know, the, the, this is the kind of thing we're trying to expose for these people. That whatever follows that sentence doesn't matter. So now, now we're going to debate whether their political, personal perspective then invalidates that they're a civilian. Yeah, it's gross. These people are disgusting. It, it also shows you that they don't care about these things unless it's a group that they want to protect. They're not really good people. Like, that's the reality behind this. They're, if they're civilians or non-combatants, that's an end of the sentence right there. You don't get to go, but I don't like what they voted for in 2006, so let's pretend like they don't matter. Or, but Hamas is holding them, and we can't prove that, even though UN did an investigation that showed they never did actually use human shields. But none of it matters. Even if they're strapped to each of their legs, the point is you do not have the legal standing to bomb them anyway just because Hamas is holding them. That's the exact reason that law was created. They're literally in showing you why this law exists and acting like it justifies their murder. Hamas, whereas the people who were killed in, in Israel, many of them were not supporters of Netanyahu. Many of them represented kind of left-wing kibbutzniks, peace activists. What does that have to do with anything? First of all, since we know that a lot of these people were killed by the IDF, and that's not up for debate. That is their statements from their reports to the media, to the radio, to mainstream corporate media. A security person at Kibbutz Ba'are on the record says they killed hostages. You have helicopter pilots telling you that they fired indiscriminately on cars that could have had hostages. We now can prove that. We have hostages that said they were shot at from the concert. We have people that we know were killed by them. It's obvious. And yet they won't even report that. I wonder why. But the point is, these people were taken hostage, and then they bombed the houses where they got burned inside. That's IDF we're talking about. But even then, what does it matter what they align with? So are you actually suggesting that had they supported Netanyahu, that would make them more of a target? That's, that's your disgusting opinion, Dershowitz. The reality is civilians are civilians, period. And they all matter. People who are opposed to the Netanyahu government, people who wanted a two-state solution, people who are opposed to the settlements, people who are opposed to the occupation. And it's just like there's an endless amount of people in Palestine that don't support Hamas. It's easily provable, but just because you start your statement with a broad whitewash, you know, with unverifiable statement and then use that to stem for like that, you, you started out by saying they all support this. Therefore, here's my argument. Well, that's not even true. But that's how they, they manipulate you, starting with a false premise. And they were killed. And so when you look at these civilian deaths, you have to ask yourself a question. How many of them really are a civilian? Oh, yeah. How many are they how, really are civilians? Why? Because you think they have opinions that you don't like? Doesn't make them not civilians. Just recognize how despicable these people are.
And I mean that. I'm not, this is not because I have a different political opinion. I would say this no matter what the circumstance, whatever the topic was, this could be in any other two countries. And the stance they're taking is grotesque. We need to remember who these people are. And quite frankly, it doesn't surprise me. Now, here is even what the community notes said. And I've been saying this from the very beginning. First of all, yes, half the population is under eight. In fact, I believe that what the actual stat is under 14. I don't want to, I, I, I might be, it's one, it's not 18. It's lower than that. But either way, half the population are children. The last elections in Gaza were in 2006 between Fatah and Hamas. And I'll read you something on that next that will probably change your mind on this. So half of the population was one year old when elections were held. And Dershowitz wants you to believe that they all voted for Hamas. You're a clown, Dershowitz. So you don't even understand the basic statistics and information about what you're talking about. So my point is, if they had an election in 2006, which they have tried or they claim they've tried in the past and they never do, they haven't had an election since, there's back and forth between the groups they support. And clearly, even from the Israeli U.S. perspective, the PA, PLO are really in charge. Except we know that that's completely co-opted by Israel, which is what anybody in the West Bank and Palestine will tell you. My point is that you can't keep pretending that Hamas is the de facto ruler as seemingly nobody thinks that. Like, I'll be clear, there's Palestinians that support their efforts for resistance. Uh, And there's plenty of them that support them in regard to actually being a, a de facto ruler, as they call it. But the point is that most of them, as far as I can tell, are somewhere in the middle at this point. 2006 was a long time ago. But it doesn't matter to them. The facts don't matter. And thank you, little little open source, for sharing this. This is an important part. Thank you again for the full source, too. Thank you. I, I think this was... Uh, I thought I followed them. In any case, it's an, it's an article, which, of course, you can't see the title anymore on Twitter because they break this, which does lower the reach. Here it is on Vanity Fair from 2008. The Gaza bombshell. This is really interesting, and this has to do with the election. It has to do with Fatah and, and and Hamas and who supports what and who. And this this is not meant to be one good, one bad, because let's not forget, you could prove that Israel and the United States, and I'll show you next, funded, supported, created Hamas in, it, so they could manipulate the Palestinians, as it even says in this article. But we also have the example that Fatah before them was also being manipulated by the U.S. government and that they even chose to create a civil war to benefit themselves, which is what they do. So now we're supposed to stand back with this knowledge, which I'll show you next, and pretend like they don't have stake in, the, in these games. They're not manipulating either of these sides. They are. So they're not. their hands are not clean when it comes to actions of any of these resistance groups. Now, since after failing to anticipate Hamas's victory over Fatah in 2006 Palestinian election, the White House cooked up yet another scandalously covert and self-defeating Middle East debacle, part Iran-Contra, part Bay of Pigs, you know, so illegal, invasive, surreptitious actions in foreign countries, false flags, all sorts of horrible things, with confidential documents corroborated by outraged former and current U.S. officials, the author reveals how President Bush, Condoleezza Rice, and Deputy National Security Advisor, none other than Elliot Abrams, backed an armed force under Fatah, under Fatah strongman, Mohammed Dalon, touching off a bloody civil war in Gaza and leaving Hamas stronger than ever. Now, let's be clear about this. You could argue that this was something that was a byproduct of clumsy actions by the foreign, by the U.S. government in Israel. 
<clears throat> which is certainly possible. But let's realize that even since then, they have used Hamas. They have funded, armed, supported. So you could argue this might have been by the actual decision, and this is Vanity Fair hiding that. But either way, whether whether this was this the Vanity Fair cover-up of the story, the, what they put in this article is very important to the story today. You won't hear this stuff today. Now, on January 26th in 2007, somebody named Abu Dan, a student at the Islamic University of Gaza, had gone to a local cemetery with his father and five, other, five others to erect a headstone for his grandmother. When they arrived, they found themselves surrounded by 30 armed men from Hamas's rival, Fatah, the party of Palestinian uh, President Ma- uh, Ma- uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who, by the way, is currently in control of the Palestinian Authority. They uh, will make sure that's the exact same name, too. So I don't get that wrong. Yeah. Yeah. President, this is current. And so this is the frustrating part about this. This person has been in power since 2004, five. I mean, that's, this is not legitimate. And the people of Gaza do not, in West Bank, do not believe that they're working for the interest of Palestine. But it says they took us to a house in North Gaza. Abu Dan says they covered our eyes and took us to a room on the sixth floor. The video reveals a bare room <clears throat> with white walls and a black and white tiled floor. Now, this has been this is observed by the author of Andy Fair. He writes about that up there, where Abu Dan's father is forced to sit and listen to his son's shrieks of pain. Afterward, Abu Dan says he and two, <clears throat> excuse me, two of the others were driven to a market square. They told us they were going to kill us. They made us sit on the ground. He rolls up his legs and his trousers. The display, the circular scars are that are evidence of what happened next. They shot our knees and feet, five bullets each. I spent four months in a wheelchair. Abu Dan had no way of knowing it, but his tormentors had a secret ally. The administration of President George W. Bush. Surprise, surprise. Shouldn't be. So at this point, we're talking about Fatah, not Hamas. Fatah, backed and manipulated by the U.S. government to torture people, to manipulate or at the very least, they supported people that were willing to do that, just, just like they do now and always have. <clears throat> now, it says, there, there, there is no one more hated among Hamas members than Mohammed uh, Duhan, long Fatah resident strongman in Gaza. Da, uh, Dalan, who most recently served as Abbas's national security advisor, has spent more than a decade battling Hamas. So, so you could take this again, another way, too. For those that want to pretend that Hamas is not the evil entity they pretend them to be. And again, that's certainly possible that it's changed since the U.S. and Israel created them to play that role, which is what some people argue. You can you could argue here that this demonstrates this reality that we have a boss who is still currently in power that we're not naming as the big bad guy who is literally working with alongside U.S. backed extremists. And so you have Hamas that is against that. So it doesn't always make them the good guy because they're against the, this obviously, you know, extreme entity. It just makes them different. But it could. It could make them the counterbalance. Now it says, Dalan insists that Abu Dan was tortured without his knowledge, saying that I didn't order that. It wasn't mine. I didn't know, but I don't believe that. But the video is proof that his followers' methods can be brutal. Now, President Bush has met Dalhan on three separate occasions. After talks at the White House in July 2003, Bush publicly praised him as a good, solid leader. The guy, the person that was just torturing, or the, his group was torturing people and shooting them in the feet. In private, says multiple Israeli and American officials, the U.S. president described him as our guy. Down here it says, Vanity Fair has obtained confidential documents since corroborated by sources in the U.S. and Palestine, which lay bare a covert initiative 
approved by Bush and implemented by Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice and Deputy National Security Advisor Elliot Abrams to provoke a Palestinian civil war. What are we really debating these days? Whether they're capable of lying to us about what they're accomplishing or whether they would cover up genocide. Obviously, they're capable of all of these things. The plan was for forces led by this extremist, Dalhan, and armed with new weapons supplied by America, by, by the U.S. government, to give Fatah the muscle it needed to remove the democratically elected Hamas-led government from power. Now, I still dispute whether that's the reality. Just because Vanity Fair writes that does not make it the truth. They're, they're you know, folding in a narrative here. I don't know how in the world we believe that they would let them vote or democratically, but let's just say that's what they want you to believe. That's what Israel and the U.S. says. Okay, so arguing from within their narrative. If that's the case, well, we can prove right here because this is this is the reality, by the way. This is, you could look this up anywhere at this point because it's been publicized that they tried. And this is why we get into this part of it next, where we argue that they helped spawn Hamas and they helped grow them. The point is their plan was to create a civil war. And then fund this end of it to win, to make it look like it was them battling the resistance. See how this works? But in this case, it blew up in their face. The secret plan backfired, resulting in a further setback for U.S. foreign policy under Bush. Instead of driving its enemies out of power, the U.S.-backed Fatah fighters inadvertently provoked Hamas to seize total control of Gaza. Or that was the plan. But either way you look at it, guys, the point is you can see the players in all of this. You've got the Israeli government and the U.S. government playing this game, possibly backing both of these entities to keep this in conflict so they don't have to do anything with Palestinians. Either way you look at this, guys, we'd realize that they're the ones supporting the worst of the worst. That's the reality, guys. Anywhere you look. Thank you again for a little old, old open source. And again, here's Alan Dershowitz, Mr. Epstein telling you, eh, there may be civilians, but they're not innocent. Well, let's remember that the group, and again, his whole point was, right, that what he's saying, the citizens of Gaza are supporters of Hamas. Well, okay, if you believe that, then explain to me why you don't care that Israel is too. Right, here again was former official in Israel, Av Avner Cohen, Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation. Not just because he says that doesn't make it true, but it is true, it's easy to prove. And here is the Times of Israel. There's pretty like three, four of these articles now. And this is October 8th, one day after their supposed 9-11. They're going, Netanyahu propped up Hamas. Very different than what U.S. government wants you to think all Israelis think today. Now it's blowing up in our faces. They see it. And it, there's varying levels between just because they funded them, this they allowed this to happen, or, or you know blinding themselves to what happened so they could use it or even as far as being involved with it. I've seen all of these arguments from Israeli citizens, Israeli Jews and other Israelis alike, that are very aware that there's something very wrong happening here. Now, Robin Minotti points something important out that I've said before, but I want it worth reiterating. He says, there are statements from Hamas about the elimination of Israel as a Jewish state, which does not mean the elimination of Jewish people. They always love this conflation. This is like saying I'm pointing out Zionist crimes, and they go, you hate Jewish people. It's the same game. I don't. In fact, I'm fighting for them, again, as you hurt them under the guise that you're protecting them, the Zionist agenda. My point, though, is that they always do this. Or when Iran or the country say death to America, they've made it very, very clear. And half the time, they don't even say that anymore because they know how it's taken by people that don't know. They're talking about the government. Trust me, they see what Americans, by and large, are aware of. That our government is not the, the entity they pretend to be. 
My point is they want you to think they hate you. They don't hate you. They hate the governments that are oppressing them. The point is there are also statements by Israeli government officials and soldiers, which I've shown you and I'll show you some more, about the elimination of all the people. Every one of them. As we just saw Dershowitz. Well, they're not innocent, meaning Palestinian Muslims and Palestinian Christians from Gaza. If you only see one statement as problematic and not the other, you may be part of the problem here. Right Now, Hamas saying they want to get rid of all Jewish people, which is not what they're actually saying, would be despicable. Anybody anywhere that is saying they want to get rid of every Jewish person or however they want, any all group of people is a bad person. Just like somebody who would say we want to get rid of all Palestinians. That's disgusting. But, they're, but the Israeli government is proudly displaying that right now, which is kind of mind-blowing that they... Where's all the international media? They are mum on this. Nothing. But he says here, this is the Hamas. He says, this is the Hamas charter. It says, I don't support either side except ceasefire now. Right? That's where we all should be at this point. I'm not taking, I'm not saying I stand with one side. I stand with freedom resistance in the legal sense and the idea that we should stop killing civilians. And I mean that in a sense, not just about Palestine. I support the idea of the Iraqis to fight for their country back or the Syrians or anybody for that matter who is being oppressed and who is being occupied. That's a, that's a general stance as much as people want to make it about choosing with the Palestinians. I would have chosen whoever was on the side of occupation and resistance because that's the legal, that's, that's the, the reality. You don't back the oppressor. That doesn't, I mean, historically, that's absurd. But his point is we stand with ceasefire. He said, it's not my intention to take any side but the truth. This is what the Charter Hamas, Charter Hamas actually says for the sake of truth and truth only. Hamas affirms that its conflict is with the Zionist project, not the Jews because of their religion. I mean, it's, it's very, and they, you could say they're lying, but you have to understand, they've been clear about this for a long time. And this is the same kind of game, like I just said, where we'll point out the fact that Orthodox Jews will expose what the Zionist project is doing, and they'll get attacked by it. We'll show you some of those. But it's very clear. It is stated in their charter, but nobody talks about that. Hamas affirms that its conflict is with the Zionist project, not the Jews because of their religion. That's number 16. It's right in their charter. So all these people acting like it says right in their charter, they want to get rid of all Jews, are lying to you or are that stupid because they didn't even look. Then he shows you one, I'll show you in a minute, just one of the many statements from Israeli politicians that don't mince words, not Hamas. It's all of them. And he, again, even uses the biblical site, a citation that the Netanyahu did. They are Amlek and we need to erase them. So they get, get the absurdity of having Jewish people who are or rather Zionists manipulating Jewish people that are constantly using the Holocaust to act like this is something that, you, that means you're not allowed to, ins, to insult a Zionist. Reverence for, for historical genocide does not mean we cannot say you're committing crimes. That's ridiculous, but that's what they do. My point is, think of the absurdity of having somebody doing that, literally do that and say, these people need to be erased. These people need to be eradicated. That's what she literally says verbatim. They are Amalek and need to be, we need to erase them. We just need to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what she's talking about. You're not talking about Hamas. She makes it very clear. She's talking about all Palestinians. It's just unbelievable. And Amalek, this whole point is that, that that is a, they're talking about literally like a biblical, like removal from the planet. That's so when he says that they're, we want to kill all these people and then they pretend that Hamas is doing the same. That's not even what they actually say. 
And then he goes, this is what's actually happening. And this is the UN human rights uh, individual who resigned from the UN human rights office saying what we see unfolding in Gaza is beyond genocide or in Gaza and beyond is genocide. And I'll play some of these for you in a minute. But isn't that just an interesting deviation? Like so many lies about all of this. Now, this person simply says, you are on the wrong side of this. Eliminating Israel would eliminate the Jewish people, which is not true, because we have seen what happens when Jews do not have a state to protect them. Well, I've seen the evidence that Zionists were attacking Jews in order to drive them into this location. And I'll show you that in a minute. Israel has tried to live with Hamas. Now, I'm not saying there's not racist people that would attack anybody different. But to make this about some kind of worldwide effort, to, to unless they have the state of Israel, it's not true. Israel has tried to live with Hamas. It's not true. Israel's Israeli businesses gave Gaza, gave jobs in Gaza. They tried. It's just not true. As he simply said, then you don't know the history of Palestine. It doesn't. He's, he's wrong. Easy to prove. And the Spectator Index writes, in, Israeli interior minister approves a law memorandum. Guess what? To revoke the citizenship of anybody supporting or identifying with a terrorist organization. Well, that might sound like it makes sense until you now realize like we've all seen everywhere in the world. That means Palestine. So now they've effectively, which, by the way, has already sort of been the de facto reality, illegalized supporting Palestine. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. Well, they're outwardly, in some cases, pretending they want a two-state solution, but then locking you up for saying you support the state that they claim they want to make for you. It's just the most obvious thing in the world. And we, this is what this is. They're, they're, as we show you in plenty of these places, they're pushing in to pull down and destroy Palestinian flags. But they totally want to make you a Palestinian state, just if you give us enough time, right? It's just, it's embarrassingly insulting. Now, Lauren Southern, interestingly enough, has a good point here. <clears throat> Michael S. says, so first of all, this person is saying, the reactions I'm seeing to this, this is Wolf Blitzer, which, you know what? It's worth playing this again. This is it's pretty staggering, this clip. It really is. Like the fact that this guy, even Wolf Blitzer cannot get his mind around that they murdered these people, they claim because of one commander. And knew they were there. Understand, they didn't even try to pretend that this was, you know, oops, we, we didn't know they were there, but too late now, that's just what happens in war. No, no, they're, we bombed that person, those, those people, because we said we thought one person was there. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> there it is. Yes, I can. We went. We were focused the again on our target, a senior, senior commander wolf, and we'll be updating uh, you with more data as the hour moves ahead. But even if that uh, uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that in that Jabalia refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there, attempting to kill this Hamas. Uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We... What I find so interesting about that, I feel like he's looking at somebody. He was already about to shake his head because that's literally what happened. In fact, that's literally what he explained happened. Wolf just puts it on a really fine point and says, so you knew? No, that's not what happened. And then again, literally explains that it's just how this works and we had to because he was there. So yes, that is what happened. Like it just shows you that they're very aware that 
without the media shining this just the right way, it's genocide because it is genocide. But I just find it terrifying that this is being white. Even I mean, just Wolf's face on this. It's like, it really is kind of mind blowing that this is being allowed and whitewashed the way it is. Now, what it says is the reactions I'm seeing to this and, and from many Israel partisans are making it very clear. There's nothing Israel could do that would be going too far. Pretty obvious. They'll justify literally anything. And he, as he says, rightly so, they're no different from any Hamas partisan defending a 10-7 attack. Now, in that sense, I mean, I would, he means people that are just going, no matter who they killed, good, because they deserve it or whatever. That's not an acceptable stance to me. If they broke the law and it wasn't within the legitimate Geneva Convention supported resistance of an occupied territory, if they killed civilians, then that's a crime. His point is that they're doing, this is the exact same thing. It doesn't matter because they're the righteous side, which is what we tell you in the religious perspective of this, that therefore they did it and they were right. And he says, moral equivalency here is dangerous, Michael S. says, and the truth is in reverse. You see, it's only one way. Is this person, tra- this is what I think is so embarrassing about this whole situation. They're like we stand up and say, what about the civilians in both, you know, civilians on both sides matter. And someone like Ben will say, no, they're terrorists and this side matters. It's like, how do we get to a point to where the objective balance is the problem and you want to redirect your outrage to one side and act like the righteous one. Well, that's what this person does. He goes, both sides are being ridiculous about how they frame their actions being, you know, nobody, no, the truth is in the reverse. It's only one side. Same thing. The Palestinians cannot, can stop war, he says, at any point by handing over their weapons. Oh, all Palestinians? You mean the infants in the incubators or the UN members that are being murdered? Like these people are ridiculous. And releasing the hostages and stop shooting rockets from civilian centers. I mean, it's just this vomit of, of statement that have no, nobody needs to verify. Are every Palestinian there holding hostages? Are they all like this is what I keep saying about the idea of the U.N. members, the journalists that are there, the medics that are there to them. It's just all Palestinians who are all holding hostages and they're all shooting rockets and they all need to give them up until they do. You're all fair target, which, by the way, means also they're hostages. I don't know why Michael S. can't wrap his mind or his I'm not insulted, but I can't wrap his mind around the idea that you're also bombing where your hostages might be, which then shows you, you, like all the rest of them, don't actually care about the hostages. Laura Southern makes an excellent point. How could Palestinian refugees who are not members of Hamas and have no hostages stop the war at any moment? See, a simple, logical question makes this person look like a child. Hamas, and this I don't necessarily agree with what she's, the, the next part of this, which Hamas should die. However, I have higher, and this is, a, this is an excellent point. Now, I, I think there's, there's, it's a complicated situation with Hamas, and I think it's something that we need to be objective about. Either way, her statement is they should die. However, I think this is very well put, I have higher expectations of a Western-backed government than I do a terror organization. I don't think that's bizarre. Think about that for a second. Like, isn't that exactly the point? So we're over here going, no, they did this, so they, that's okay what they do. Well, aren't you supposed to be, like, this is the, game, the point I make about the governments acting like they're the rules-based international order or the democracies, except they go, well, Russia did it first, so here's cluster munitions. So you're not better than them then. You're exactly the same, right? It's just, that's what the point is. We should have a higher expectation. It's like the police going in and just acting like the criminals. And you go, well, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to be the ones holding up the law, even if that puts you at a disadvantage? Yes. The point is, these governments are acting like the group they claim they're fighting. So they're no different. And in fact, then we, then we should start to ask whether the group they're fighting is even doing the things they're saying they're doing. The bottom line is they 
are the terror organization in this. Whether or not both sides are. When you are bombing civilians without concern for their lives, you're the bad guy. The same way I would have, she says, I have higher expectations of a SWAT team than a crazed mass shooter. Quote, yeah, we just blasted every classroom because we thought the shooter might be in there. And any death we cause is actually his fault. Would not be a sufficient answer. (laughs) Well put. I mean, really, really, that's exactly. But these people don't care. They're not really honest about this, in my opinion. So it brings this to the discussion of the United Nations. This is not from the Palestinian Refugee Agency. This is from United Nations Geneva. And this has this account has almost a million followers. Quote, the Palestinian death toll has reached 9,061. Women and children are 62% of the victims. This is coming directly from UN Humanitarian, the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, which has almost 700,000 followers. That's not, this is not from the Gaza Health Ministry. This is them citing their, this is, that's important. Then he also adds from the UN Human Rights Group, settler violence has also escalated dramatically, averaging seven attacks a day. In more than a third of these attacks, firearms were used. And guess what? I'll get to this in a minute. Israel's now setting up their settler militias to maintain order in these places where those settlers are beating, raping, robbing, and really in real time. I'll I'll show you directly from human rights groups. Here's what he had to say. Partners will release an updated flash appeal on Monday, the 6th of November, covering the remainder of the year. The cost of meeting the needs of 2.7 million people, that is the entire population of the Gaza Strip and 500,000 people in the occupied West Bank, is estimated to be 1.2 billion US dollars. In today's situation update, we can report that in Gaza, the Palestinian death toll over the past 17 days has reached 9,061. Women and children comprise some 62% of these victims. In terms of internal displacement in Gaza, the number has swelled to nearly 1.5 million. This includes nearly 700,000 people sheltering in 149 UNRWA facilities, reaching almost four times their intended capacity. And let us not forget the situation in the West Bank, where violence has also been spiking. Since 7th of October, the UN has documented over 130 deaths and more than 2,200 injuries. Settler violence, which was already at record levels, has also escalated dramatically, averaging seven attacks a day. In more than a third of these attacks, firearms were used. We have documented that in many of these incidents, settlers were accompanied by members of the Israeli forces, or the settlers were wearing uniforms and carrying army rifles. Along with the near total impunity for settler violence, We're concerned that armed settlers have been acting with the acquiescence and collaboration of Israeli forces and authorities. Entire communities are being forced from their land by this violence. See how important that is? So they are, this is my whole thing about the beginning of this, when I told you that settlers are occupation forces, or they could be, and that's a conversation that we need to have. This is why. Because they are being put forward as official forces, but they don't get regarded as such from the media. They're even wearing uniforms in some cases. Now they're going to create militias using them. And these people are literally stealing and raping and murdering and doing all sorts of things. And this is per official sources. And we don't, and this isn't even, we're not even talking about this in most cases because the genocide happening right over here in Gaza. But 
This is this is what they are. What's the right word for it? Authorizing from the Israeli government. And we're supposed to pretend like that doesn't show you exactly who they are or exactly who they think about even the ones in the West Bank. Any Palestinian is the point. Well, now, since the start of the war on October 7th, nearly 50, 5-0 UN buildings and assets across the Gaza Strip have been impacted, with some being directly hit. As you heard him just tell you, in many cases, they're having four times the amount of people in these locations that they're even capable of holding. That's with less resources than they've ever had. These people are dying in their care because they do not have any way to help them. And then they bomb these locations. They're now housing around 700,000 people. We need to understand how dire this is. Schools, shelters being bombed directly. These locations are protected. They're acknowledged. The coordinates are given to Israel. They know where they are. There's not, they're, not even Israel is claiming Hamas is there. And they just bomb them. Where's CNN? Where's Fox News? Where's, CNN? Where's any of the Western media? Not a word. Wolf, Wolf, uh, Wolf Blitzer accidentally covered this the other day when he brought her on to talk about the refugee camp. And she said, well, I don't have any information, but I can tell you this and went off about these people. Nobody else cares. He barely even asked any questions about it because it shows you the reality. That's why I've been on this from the beginning. They're not claiming Hamas is working with some of these lackeys on Twitter are trying to do that, but it doesn't hold water. There's no evidence to it. And you have people all over the world, including backing from the main UN organization, which I'm no fan of, that is saying we are being bombed by Israel and still nobody cares. So get this is just this is from yesterday. Four shelters in less than 24 hours. They're increasing the targeting of the United Nations. Why? Because they're holding all these people. People that they want gone or killed, according to their own statements. Today, a UN school was damaged. And we'll go to that in a minute. Because they use some munitions that are illegal. All of this is illegal. But they targeted a United Nations school in the Jablia refugee camp. Killing at least 20 people. Any one of these individual things should be unprecedented, but we're at a point now where this is just one more action and a string of open genocidal crimes against humanity. Another shelter at the Beach Refuge Camp was also damaged with a child reportedly killed. This is all coming from the United Nations. Here is from the United Nations Geneva. Again, since October 7th, 70-70 United Nations staff members were killed. This is the highest number of UN aid workers killed in a conflict in such a short time in history. Despite losses, the staff continue to work around the clock. And here's an important one. This is their first, it says, my firm message to all our staff and the people in Gaza, the United Nations is staying. That's an important thing because Israel is pushing this line. So they're, they're saying you're going to have to kill us because they're not going to leave these people to die because they cannot move them. So as Israel and all these sycophants on Twitter and elsewhere keep going, they told them to leave. Well, they can't leave. End of story. Babies in incubators, disabled, ventilators, elderly, people that cannot move, people that have already been bombed with head injuries and arms blown off and people dealing with injuries that they can't, you can't even fathom. And we're supposed to just walk them 10 miles because they don't have any other way to go. It's not possible. So the UN is saying, we're going to stay. Think how brave that is. Our commissioner general visited Gaza today to meet Palestinian communities and colleagues who continue to serve in the war-torn strip. 
So this might be an important shift if they can, you know, I don't know how they can get away with, I mean, I guess I mean, they've already done it. 50 buildings, 70 people. I don't think they care. But I mean, if they wipe 700,000 people off the map in a UN building, it's going to be pretty damn hard to sell that to the world. Now here is the way that this is being framed. This is Ahmed Al-Nak, Palestinian journalist based in London, has family in Gaza. So the way that they put this on the screen, and it's just so embarrassing, Ahmad has lost 21 family members. As he says, I didn't lose 21 family members. Israel killed 21 family members of my family, including my father, two brothers, three sisters, and 14 of his nieces and nephews. These aren't Hamas. These are civilians. Here's what he had to say. I mean, and just imagine trying to be this calm while people, while you have to educate people about basic realities. Because I believe that uh, some of the major Western media outlets actually are actually complicit in this war crime that Israel is committing against us. Complicit in what way? They provided Israel with the cover and atmosphere to do the massacres against us. The coverage has never been adequate on Palestine. There has been a lot of misinformation. There has been a lot of lies about what actually happened, not only in this conflict, not only since the 7th of October, but for 75 years of the conflict. You now, you're talking about we, speaking as a Palestinian. Yeah. Israel's very clear that this is against Hamas, a terror. Think about how grotesque it is to say that. Like, so, so what, so are you, as, as a supposed journalist, you just, well, Israel says this, go. Do you do that in reverse? Do you say, well, Hamas claims this. What about that? Of course not, because they only take one side at face value in this. You should take neither side at face value when you're in the middle of a conflict that they're involved in. And just look at that smug look. The point is, it's obviously not a war on Hamas. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder whether any Hamas members are even being targeted in this or even killed. At this point, we have examples of thousands of civilians coming from UN numbers. And she's sitting there acting like what Israel said. It was Hamas. As a Palestinian, Israel's very clear that this is against Hamas, a terrorist organization that perpetrated the most horrific atrocities. I can understand why you in the absolute vortex of your grief, feel anger. She, what, she, what she's just talking about, right? The, the actual vortex of his anger. Right, let's not forget, we're talking about 21 family members, fathers, brothers, sisters, 14 nieces, nephews. Yeah, she sure understands his vortex of pain, doesn't she? But, 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 but what can but, be done for the sake of all those there, because what we don't want to get into is a war of words and hate, do we? Of course. My God, these people are stupid. What can we do? Stop bombing them. Stop indiscriminately murdering them. What can we do for them? And what is she, you know, this is why this bothers me so much. What is she truly doing? She's putting it on him. What do we do to protect them? Like, it's your responsibility. What do Palestinians, what do they need to do to stop this? So she's, without even realizing, or maybe intentionally, making it about how it's their fault. She's blaming the victim. Of course, we don't want a word of war or hate, but we need to be clear about something. This is not a war against Hamas. My family are not Hamas. My 14 nieces and nephews who are children, all under the age of 13, ranging from 1 to 13, are not Hamas. And they were killed. They were brutally killed while they were asleep. This is not a war against Hamas. 
This is a war against the Palestinian people and it has been always against the Palestinian people. My father is 75 years old and he was born a few months after the Nakba. Do you know what the Nakba is? The Nakba is the... Of course they don't. They have no idea what he's talking about. ...year in which Israel, the Zionist uh, militias, forced, uh, forcibly displaced 750,000 Palestinian people from their homes and lands to create the state of Israel. This is, this is what actually happened. We have been living under this war and conflict and uh, onslaught and massacres for a long time. And it is right so, now. And it your is the father time to stop was... That. And if you watch the full, she right past it. Right past it. So on the next topic, because we can't, we can't allow anybody to understand what they're really going through, right? Because that would be real news. Well, as, as Francesca Albanese, UN Special Rapporteur, writes i'm very sorry you i'm sorry you had to go through this imagine other survivors of their atrocity crimes having to educate the interviewers about the basics of their tragedy this is how is it possible that in 2023 journalists do not know what the nakba is because they're not journalists he said it's sad it is also painful that we only get the opportunity and the platforms to talk about that nakba when there is palestinian bloodshed so we literally have to get killed so that they have a platform and that platform is pop, propped up with mere functionaries. This person writes, and this is a quote from John Pilger. Many journalists now are no more than channelers and echoers of what George Orwell called the official truth. They simply cipher and transmit lies. It really grieves me that so many of my fellow journalists can be so manipulated that they become really what the French describe as functionaries. It's, it's what's happening. It's what she just literally did. It's depressing. Well, here is actually Francesca Albanese dealing with the same thing. And she says, me, just after another Israeli military officer repeating on TV that Israel's doing the utmost to avoid civilian casualties in Gaza. And that was before the bombing of the Jabalia refugee camp. This is what they're still towing the line of. And this woman at BBC has the nerve to like get almost put, she gets aggressive with her. It's just unbelievable. This, this woman is a UN special rapporteur. And just because, and she, she calls her out as if she's only fighting for the Palestinians. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really gross the way that, again, remember these people. It's not going to matter for the average person who doesn't care, but for you that would take note of who these people are. Most everybody in the corporate media is easy to see, but just remember, they are at the very least unable to see this. You, but as a rapporteur, you're advocating for the Palestinian people. Many, many Palestinians have absolutely nothing to do with Hamas. Excuse me, excuse me. I do not, I, I do not advocate for the Palestinian people. You are wrong. I advocate for the application of international law, human rights and justice. Yeah. This so is in what human rights and justice, about. do you think that Hamas cares that more than 3,000 children have died, more have been wounded, orphaned and traumatized? Oh, because that's Hamas's fault, right? That, God, that Israel is bombing all over the area to places where they tell them to go to places while they're going to schools and hospitals and medics and churches and mosques. Yep. That's all Hamas's fault. That's that's she don't. Do you think they care? What kind of question is that? Do you think Israel cares? They killed 3000 children. That's a better question. When you're looking at international law, do you agree that, that Hamas is breaking law? Is it? Excuse me. What question is think about what she just said. When you look at international law, do you agree that Hamas is breaking the law? First of all, if you want to try to make the argument that they're holding human shields, you damn well better prove that as a journalist. But we know that she's not a journalist. She's just, she's a functionary like we just talked about. 
Nobody's proven that. I haven't seen a single image of any kind of human shield dynamic. Just because you claim they're in Gaza, which is where they choose to remain, not because they're being forced. For, in fact, they are being forced by Israel to be in an open air prison, but they're the ones trying to stand by what is their territory. So you can't just by default say that's human shield because they're there together. That's just dumb. The bottom line is that who is obviously violating international law are the people collectively bombing an area full of millions of civilians. I can't believe these people even act like they don't look this. These She knows that's dumb. Like that is the most basic bottom level argument. She, I really just don't think they care. These are bad people. Indeed, I don't know if Hamas cares or... Hamas is breaking law. Excuse me, what question is it? I don't know if Hamas cares or not, but I know that it's Israel's responsibility not to bomb a 360 square meter, kilometer uh, strip of land where the people are besieged. Excuse me, I cannot be in an interview where I've just heard someone saying we are doing all, everything that we can to avoid civilian loss of life. This is not true because 8,000 people have already been killed. And if the Commissioner General of UNRWA says that 3,500 um, 3, children, around 3,500 children have been killed, even if it's not fully verified, it means that it's likely, um, like, uh, highly likely, because UNRWA has staff members who have been killed. There are journalists who have been killed. 50% of the civilian infrastructure in Gaza has been destroyed. The Palestinians in Gaza have nowhere to go. Please imagine what it is to have 2 million people, 200,000 living in 300 square meters, which is being bobbed north to south. Where do these people have to go? There is no safe haven. These people are trapped and are being are being killed. This is what Israel is pursuing. Read their statement, read the genocidal logic that is undergoing. And while we speak, there are people who have been who, and Israeli human rights organizations are asking the world to look at what's happening in the West Bank. But there's no, but I'd like to just, can we just be quiet? I love how, if you, whenever you notice when they get these people that are on a rant, they never want to let them finish. Where, can, can I go? Well, what about those trying to jump in and stop it as fast as possible? And it's the same thing you see anywhere. If this was anybody in the Israeli military speak, they would let them speak as long as they wanted about it. The point is that you're not supposed to allow that kind of conversation to be had. We know that. But what's really important there is that this is obviously trying, just like I say, they're trying to redirect outrage to one side of this conversation. In, in, in weirdly both different ways. Like, so now they're bombing these people. We don't even consider that they're not, they're just because they claim they're trying to. What if Hamas just says we're, we're trying not to let them? It just doesn't matter. It's such an obviously one-sided game they're playing. People are dying. They know it, and they don't care. We just went over this in, in many different ways in regard. I mean, again, she's a UN rapporteur. She knows what she's talking about, and she's just outraged this woman would even try to ignore the blatant reality of what's happening here. But again, it's just it's just this simple. This is the point is that everybody I know in this field knows this. Everybody sees this. Average people you talk to. It's obvious this is a problem. And the government, the, the supposed leaders are the ones that are continuing this. Now, I mean, I, I shouldn't like, like literally everybody, but I mean, like on a majority scale, the, the scales have tipped. It's very clear. Now, here's low key. And again, John Cusack are posting this. When Israel kills Palestinians, the mainstream media frames it as murder mystery. Breaking. At least 20 killed in school being used by... Weird. You don't even mention Israel. Isn't that interesting? Even though they are admitting to these? It's just despicable. 
And on top of that, the Pentagon confirmed, and I have seen this elsewhere confirmed, that they are using, essentially since the 7th, they've been using drones over the area. So think about all the times they act like we don't see what's going on. We can't see. We don't have eyes on the ground. Yeah, you really do. You've been seeing every single thing. And they're being, and they're lying about it. So the point is, when they bomb the schools and they bomb, they know. They know that there was nothing there. They know that they killed people. They don't care. But I think we already know that. And let's not forget, as the Amnesty International has already covered this. Six videos of the, the civilian casualties going on the route that Israel told them to take and being bombed. Now, in case you think that this is just about saying somebody bombed them, we don't know. Let's not forget that they've covered this. This is Amnesty International's on the 20th of this month, or last month. Here, the organization presents an in-depth analysis of its findings in five of these unlawful attacks from Israel. In each of these cases, Israeli attacks violated international humanitarian law, including by failing to take feasible precautions to spare civilians, or by carrying out indiscriminate attacks that failed to distinguish between civilians and military, or simply by carrying out attacks that targeted civilians. All three of these things happened, and they prove it in this discussion. So let's be real about this. They are bombing people as they go the route they tell them to go. There's no confusion about this. They've proven this with their discussions. Oh, and let's not forget as well, Israel's bombed the crossing, the Rafah crossing, I think six times now. Even Egypt keeps pointing this out. There's no confusing this. You guys know most of this already. Hoping to catch a few more people that may be new to the show. The bottom line is you can't bomb where they are, where they're supposed to go, and the crossing they're supposed to take and act like you're trying to keep them safe. There's no arguments about Hamas in all these conversations. We've also proven that they bomb the UN areas, bomb these, well, and the next things we're going to get into. So we just talked about the Jablia refugee camp, full of refugees that are refugees because of Israel policy and U.S. government lack of action. Angelina Jolie writes in regard to this. This my point about even these mainstream, you know, politician, people, the average person, and I do it, and I'm, I mean, I don't mean like financially, I just mean people that are not in the know. So most politicians, I'm kidding, but most, most stars, people that are in the, like they're now, they're now starting to stand up and say, this is crazy. Cause they're not really in the know, in my opinion, they're played by the power structure to think that they understand or think that, no, they're tapped into the party politics. And they think they're right in the know. Cause I know somebody in X, Y, and Z. They're seeing this because it's impossible to miss. Angelina Jolie says this is the deliberate bombing of a trapped population who have nowhere to flee. Gaza has been an open-air prison for nearly two decades and is fast becoming a mass grave. 40% of those killed are innocent children, it's way more than that, whose families are being murdered. While the world watches and with the active support of many governments, millions of Palestinian civilians, children, women, families are being collectively punished and dehumanized all while being deprived of food, medicine, humanitarian aid against international law. By refusing to demand a humanitarian ceasefire and blocking the UN Security Council from imposing one on both parties, world leaders are complicit in these crimes. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I, I I've never, I mean, there's plenty of these people that are famous that are probably pretty bad people. And I'm not saying this makes her good or bad. I'm just saying what's interesting is I think a lot of them just believe they're doing right and they're just played by people in power. And in this case, it's a very hard sell. Like, for instance, she probably supports Ukraine because she is told and believes they're the underdog. They're the, the one that's being oppressed. That's the game they usually play. But today, it's not. It's impossible to frame this as the victim is Israel. It's just impossible. Now, even, even with what happened on October 7th. Now, maybe had they stopped right there and made this an international discussion, they could have waged this. I mean, they, look, they could have won this information war had they 
just focused on the October 7th, not gone into Gaza, made this <clears throat> an international conversation and been like, look at the horrors they committed. You know how hard it would have been for us to get everyone else to look back at 75 years? The difference is they went on to execute people in real time. So now they're going, whoa, hold on. And then over here, we're going, look over here. Look at everything else that happened. And they're open to it because of what they're seeing. You have people like Angela Jolie who are going, they're the oppressed. They're being occupied. Isn't that what we're supposed to, isn't always what we stand up for? That's my point. They're, they've lost control of this a long time ago. And this is where we played that clip in the beginning. This is uh, Scott Ritter, who's very, very knowledgeable in foreign policy, who used to, he, he was a lot of background in this. He, he literally has, what was the last one we just talked about? I'm just blanking on it. He just did a great clip about something. In any case, we, we showed a bunch of his clips. This one is in regard to their policy about civilians. All of this stuff is so easy to find. It's just about the way that, as he says, the, the international community just decides to not talk about it. They have a policy about killing civilians. Israel has implemented a policy. The English language, it's, it's mowing the grass. Dahiwa is the, the policy that the Israelis have put on it. Mowing the grass, what does that mean? It sounds nice. It sounds copacetic, mowing the grass. It means mowing the people, mowing the Palestinian people, mowing the children of Palestine, mowing the women of China. And when I say mow, I mean kill. I mean murdering them, knocking them down like, a, like, like you would grass at harvest, mowing the grass. It's Israel's policy of disproportionate force. It's Israel's policy of deliberately targeting civilian populations to crush the will to resist. It is, by definition, a war crime. You are not allowed to deliberately target civilian populations. International humanitarian law has made this clear. And yet Israel not only does it, but acknowledges it as its official policy. And the world is silent. The world is silent. Nobody speaks out about this. Nobody has spoken out about it. It's allowed to happen because that's the way it is. So we have an open policy. We have what I think it's called the neighbor policy in regard to using children or other Palestinians when they engage with possibly armed civilians, which is like the literal definition of a human shield. That's on the record. We have this mowing the grass policy in regard to dealing with civilians. They have the Hannibal Directive, which is about killing their own civilians should they get in a position where they might be used against them, right? These are the people that they actually are. This is the Zionist agenda, the Zionist project. That's what this is. And the world is beginning to finally see that. Sarah Abdallah points out, Israel dropped 18,000 tons of explosives on Gaza since October 7th, surpassing the amount used in the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima. That's easy. This is a, I, I will look, this is real. Think about how grotesque that is. Just to put this into perspective, Hiroshima, 906.7 kilometers squared. Population, 255,000 in 1945. Gaza, 45 kilometers squared. Population, 2.2 million today. They have used more tons of explosives than they did on Hiroshima. Now, obviously, there's no nuclear aspect, so we're told anyway. I don't mean to suggest that I even have evidence. That. I'm just saying we don't know who knows. I have seen evidence in the past of net tactical nukes used in Palestine. That's a real thing. The point, this is obscene. 
and nobody who's honest or has a heart or a soul can pretend like this is not happening. That's why they're losing this. So here is an important point that a lot of people missed. We talked about the Jablia refugee camp, right? But this person says, you're looking at the site of the second massacre at the Jablia refugee camp. Not the one from yesterday, another one. This was on the first. They did it again. Like this, this is not, this is continual. Like think about the absurdity of bombing a place where they know they killed 400 to one innocent civilians. And then even the corporate media has a hard time with that. And then you just do it again. What is that if not impunity? They know. I mean, my God. I mean, just you, I'll just look at, just show you right here. Look at that. I mean, it's almost like they wanted to make this clear. Oh, you guys have a problem? We did that? Well, we're going to do it even more. Interesting is, you know, they always frame the old Soviet Union mindset. Like, that's how they would act. Like, it's all about projecting strength. Well, is that not what the U.S. and Israel do on a regular basis? Well, here, now, there's some graphic stuff here, guys. So prepare. The, the next two or three are going to be a little bit hard to see. But I think in, in some cases, this is important to understand what happened. Now, as Sarah Wilkinson points out, the barbaric Israelis have just bombed a Palestinian school in Jablia camp, causing injuries and dozens of casualties. Okay, this is important. It's a school. This is just because they tell people online are going to say well, Hamas was there. Have you seen evidence of that? Is there a video showing you Hamas was there? Just because Israel says that does not make it true. It's, a, it's absurd that we would take the word of a, person, a group involved with committing war crimes per the UN, Oxfam, UNICEF, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Beth Selim. Literally everybody is telling you they're committing war crimes. And we're just going to take their word on the, for the one thing that, by the way, doesn't even, not make, doesn't even then remove the war crime. It's still a war crime, whether Hamas is there or not. But the, the, what they believe makes it okay. That seems really stupid. This is what's really going on. Just indiscriminate murder. I mean, it's it's all, it's actually it's really hard to call it indiscriminate at this point. This seems like targeted murdering of Palestinians. Grasen Abu Sita points out the Israelis have just used white phosphorus again against the, the Shati refugee camp. Now let's not forget this is not something that is debatable. In 2009, Human Rights Watch proved with their own investigation that Israel was unlawfully using white phosphorus, which is not new. The U.S. government uses it in every single field of war, and so too does the Isra- do the Israelis every time I've seen them go into something against the Palestinians. Or Lebanon, for that matter, because that's the point in the second one. The, and this is October 12th, 2023. White phosphorus used in Gaza. Not possibly, not maybe. Yes, they've done so, and we can prove it. And in Lebanon. Just added to the growing list of provable war crimes that will seemingly never be held accountable for. 
doesn't matter because the U.S. government will say, we don't know. Or somehow the white human rights watch becomes anti-Semitic the moment they say the one thing you don't like. But tomorrow when they point out something Iran did, well, we all love them because you guys are screaming hypocrites. Well, Mint Press News points out an important video that was captured. Video footage of Israeli warplanes, undeniable, while they were bombing the school. Okay, so this is the, this is the same location we're talking about, the Al-Shati camp. Okay, what you saw was the aftermath. Here's how it starts, and you can see white phosphorus bombed. So not only do they completely demolish these people and bomb all these innocent civilians, but they also potentially melt their skin off first. There is no rationale for why it would be used in the day over a bunch of children or civilians. These, this is a war crime. This is a chemical weapon attack is what this is. You'll see children and women. This is a UN school you're staring at. You'll see them running out of the way all over the place. Now, I can't speak to the first couple of things you see fall, but there's two examples of things sprayed in the sky, which you'll see in the video, that are undeniably white phosphorus. That's what you're that's what you're looking at. There's just no way around this. I mean, it's not the UN is is stating this, right? This is as public and obvious as it gets. Here's this this gets even more despicable right now, if that's even possible. So according to 21st Century Wire, any I mean and uh, NPR and RT International both reported on this. Israel issues direct threat to the Red Cross in Gaza. Apparently, there's nothing off limits as long as it's in Gaza. The United Nations, the Red Cross, threatens them directly. It says it cannot force its way through bombs to visit hostages held by Hamas. But their point they're making is the reason we can't do this is because you're indiscriminately bombing. But you see, I think the game they're playing is to make it seem as in every possible way that you're trying to save the people that you're bombing as you bomb these areas. When I think we can prove that they don't want to rescue these people. So my point is, Red Cross is going, look, you, you're, what Israel is threatening them, saying you're not helping the, the hostages. And they're saying we can't force our way through bombs to go there. And that's just where it gets left. The Red Cross has no right to exist if it does not succeed in visiting the hostages being held by the captives. So here they are pretending that the Red Cross is only helping one side, while the Red Cross is telling you you're bombing everywhere we can't get to. We can't even get to other people we need to get to. 
That does not seem like an interest of the Israeli government to actually see if the people helped. It's, it seems like a way to make it look like that you're the one not helping, and that's why we're going to keep bombing because you're not getting your hostages. Well, you're bombing your hostages. Israelis seem to call this out right now. Let's not forget, their own hostages spoke up as a video that, in captivity saying, what, are you trying to kill us all? Yes, it does seem that way. Well, this gets despicable. Laura Friedman points out, Israel just bombed the main gate of the Al-Shifa medical compound. You know, the place that we keep telling you that they're threatening to bomb, that they're getting closer to bombing, they're bombing right around it, people are starting to get rid They're bombing hospitals. You can't keep telling us they're warning them to leave, threatening to bomb it, bombing the outskirts, and then all of a sudden Hamas bombs it. Is that even, I mean, it's just silly. This is Israeli government choosing to bomb hospitals. I mean, now are we to stand back and pretend that the Al-Shif, the Al-Ali hospital was Hamas now? Since they've gone on to bomb three or four other hospitals now, Israel, as they're then going, oh, well, Hamas was there. Okay, well, what? So, so Hamas then weirdly bombs its own hospital? It just, everything about this shows they're lying. The fact it says that some people can look at these videos and the many, many that preceded them and still insist that Israel is doing to civilians in what Israel's doing to civilians in Gaza is morally, let alone legally, right, necessary, laudable, speaks to their total loss of humanity and deep racism towards Palestinians. I completely agree with that. And this is that video that we we're just showing. Well, actually, no, that's the one we're going to show next. State of Palestine reports the Israelis just bombed a convoy of ambulances at the main entrance to the Al-Shifa hospital, preparing to depart for the south, you know, where they're telling them to go. Okay, so they threaten the Red Cross. They threaten them. You better do, do what we want you to do, even though they're going, we can't, you can't, you won't let us get there, okay? And then they go to bomb a bunch of a bunch of ambulances. Now, at this point, they're blaming Hamas. They're saying, well, the ambulances were, they were Hamas or they weren't even up. The point is, it turns out something very different happened here. We att- this is the IDF reporting, we attacked Hamas terrorists who were trying to escape from Gaza in Red Crescent ambulances. Okay, Israel says the Red Cross collaborates with Hamas, essentially. Is that believable? Well, here's what even CNN just said. The ambulances were part of a convoy that was heading south towards the Rafa crossing. The Red Cross had been informed that the convoy was leaving the hospital towards the Rafa crossing. And perhaps most damningly, we've just been hearing uh, Jessica from the Red Cross who confirmed that they had been given uh, information about this particular convoy that was due to leave uh, the Shifa hospital on its way uh, to the Rafa crossing. What we know about the attack is that there are uh, several uh, casualties, uh, many wounded uh, as well, uh, and that uh, this does appear now to have been a convoy of wounded Palestinians being taken to the Rafa crossing that was uh, that was hit as part of that IDF strike, now claimed uh, by the IDF again. Uh, with- claimed. Now, just because they go, boo, Hamas, they're not even buying it anymore. The idea uh, that this was part of their operation uh, to take on uh, Hamas, the evidence that we're getting uh, from uh, those sources, not just inside the Al-Shifa hospital, but again, from the Red Cross, does seem to contradict that. Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know why? Because Israel's lying to you. Because the Red Cross just got threatened by Israel, and now they take it out on them. I mean, this is where they're talking right here. The point was they're saying an unbalanced focus. So all of a sudden, you're now helping only Hamas or Palestinians, how we're framing you. 
The Red Cross reputation is at stake if it cannot secure a visit to those being held captive. And it's saying we cannot do that unless we are given the needed humanitarian space and the access to be able to do our job. We cannot force our way through bombs. I guess Israel didn't like that very much. So they bombed him. And even CNN is telling you the Red Cross knew they, the Red Cross, the International Humanitarian Group, which I've called out in a thousand different ways. My point is not to say we should believe them blindly. My point is to say these are the groups that the other side uses to, to manipulate. They're, they've lost control of this. The Red Cross is on the record saying that those were Palestinians who were injured and we were working with them to get into the border where they're telling us to go. And Israel bombed a bunch of ambulances full of injured Palestinian civilians. That's what just happened. I mean, my God. And then here's what you get told online, you know, because Twitter is going to give you the breakdown or whoever. My point is, this is just another one of these accounts. Breaking news. Just now, Hamas snipers have reportedly killed dozens of children and women on the streets, targeting those attempting to travel from north to south to Gaza and those displaying white flags as a sign of peace. Similar acts have previously been attributed to Palestinian and Hezbollah terrorists in Syria. They do not want civilians to leave. It's just simply not true. They want to use them as human shields. Also, even the UN said that wasn't true and killed anyone who attempts to leave. Well, you know who's doing that? Israel. They literally just did it. Hamas terrorists in Gaza will, as usual, blame Israel because it's easy and there's media. Well, I don't see any source material. I I see a a bunch of statement. On the other hand, everybody can see what just happened here. And even the corporate media is being forced to acknowledge that, well, everybody else seems to have a story that we can prove that Israel's denying. Well, what does that typically mean? Everyone else and all the evidence and then the person responsible going, that's not true. Well, it's usually pretty clear. I mean, guys, this is getting out of control where people are just lying and just stating things and people that want to believe it will, which is typically how this goes. Well, again, another very graphic, you need to see what happened here. Dan Cohen shares this. Israel bombed a convoy of ambulances outside of the Al Shifa hospital. Here's what he's. This is what happened. Hold on, I apologize. Believe it's this one. I just can't do it. <clears throat> I just can't believe it. Been doing this a long time and I'm just blown away, guys. <laughs> how how anybody cannot be aware of what's happening here. And really that's my point is I think it's anybody who cares to look it's very clear. Even the corporate media is coming along. 
I don't mean that because they care, guys. I don't mean that's because they even care for a second about what these people are dealing with. It's because they see their careers on the line, right? They see what's happening. I mean, let's not forget, we have Robert's family that's been killed here. I, ju I just spoke to somebody else who had multiple members of their family who've been, who've been killed in Gaza. And still, they're fighting for anybody who's innocent. I mean that. Because they're not stupid. They know there are people in Israel that are on their side who are saying, we see what's happening and we support you. It's just so amazing that there's so many disgusting. There's, you know, I do believe it's the minority, but I'm still a little bit blown away by how many people were, are this disgusting, who are really, truly this bad that are willing to allow this to happen. It just gets to me a little bit. Now, we also have more examples of the Red the Palestinian Red Crescent pointing out that the Israeli occupation forces are bombing the civilians in front of the emergency building at the Al-Hawa neighborhood of Gaza, which is approximately 100 meters away from the Al-Quds hospital. So just, just a random coincidence, right? They're, they're bombing hospitals everywhere. Now, of course, they're going to say, well, Hamas is using them all. But have you seen a single shred of evidence to back that up? Does the media even care? I don't think that's happening. I just don't. I think the evidence has become very, very clear. I think this is a war on Palestine. The Israeli occupation occupying forces opened fire on the Red Crescent ambulance while its team was fulfilling their humanitarian mission of transporting both martyrs and wounded to Rashid Street on Rashid Street in Gaza Strip. This unfortunate incident led to injuries among the paramedics. They're just opening fire. They're bombing them. They're firing on them. Imagine trying to do that job. Now, here's the one I was playing a second ago, guys, and this is the last one I think is super graphic for today, but it's less so than before, but I think this is important. Noor makes a, gr and a very important point to recognize here. As they're claiming it's only Hamas and they're minimizing civilian casualties, remember that because of the, what they've already done, they don't have anesthesia. They don't, they, they're, they're, they barely even have the tools to, to do any kind of actual helping surgery or, or any kind of triage for that matter. And you're dealing with children and they've got nothing to do for them other than put water on them and help minimize the pain as best they can. bunch of Hamas members, you know, suffering from dealing with their terrorism. Sarah Abdallah writes, breaking Israeli drop bombs on Al Shrak Bakery in Gaza, the sole operating bakery in the area after they bombed the last one. They snuck, they snuck it in while hundreds of people were waiting in line in front of the bakery. 
which is, by the way, the second time that's happened. In what universe would this be called self-defense? Times of Gaza report the Israeli aggression on Gaza Strip. 34,000 housing units completely destroyed. 150,000 units partially destroyed. 221 schools destroyed. 38 completely. 15 healthcare units and 51 clinics destroyed. And this is just working information while they're still moving through this tragedy. Black and Empire makes a really important point. If the state of Israel is doing this right now, to the Palestinians in front of the whole world while they watch. Imagine, and you know because you've been watching, imagine what they've been doing for the last 75 years when nobody was paying attention. That is gross. That just that's, makes my skin crawl. And you know, I, I happen to know what they've been doing for the last 75 years, and that's the point. Um, this is what they do when they know everybody's paying attention. Sarah Abdallah points out that 544 children were killed in Ukraine in 563 days of war. And they just could not stop screaming about Putin, the war criminal. I guess Matt Miller didn't need his every single bombing invasive assessment to be able to say that, right? Because these people are liars. But this is while 3,648, as far as according to some stats, over 4,000 at this point, children. 3,648 children in Gaza were killed by Israel in just the last 25 days. Not counting those that are missing under the rubble right now. Where's the International Criminal Court? I mean, these are this is official numbers coming. I, I, this is, uh, what was this again? I, I read this actually. I forget where I, what this came from. Here's another one. Or this was, oh, it's right here. Why don't they include, I swear. Sorry, I, don't, I forgot. I thought I had it listed at the bottom. This was from, this is from a, something like a either UN thing or some kind of a human rights group that compared these things. I forget what the, the site was. If you remember, let me know. I'll, I'll post it. My point is, though, this is an easily verifiable stat. It's just, it's just unbelievable that this is, and this and her point was, oh yeah, she updates it to 9,000, 3,760 children. <clears throat> now here's a person that says, after what we just saw, which you can prove, by the way, Halul Falud points out, it was a uh, columnist for TechCrunch, Fast Company, Google, Microsoft, Oracle, Proud Jew. He says, I just read the sickest thing. When the IDF was deep in Gaza yesterday, taking control of a Hamas base, which I doubt even happened, Hamas sent 100 women and children out to the soldiers to act as human shields. Hamas has reached a level of depravity humanity has never known. And I mean never. Think of th- This is what we're battling. So I read the sickest thing. So what are you actually saying? Did Hamas march out with these people in front of them and then take on the soldiers? Clearly not. That's not what happened. They're not even reporting some kind of head-to-head battle. Okay, so then you're claiming that they sent out women and children? Then why did you just take them and leave? This doesn't even logically make sense. But that doesn't matter. It hasn't mattered this entire time. It says Hamas sent women and children out to the soldiers. That's not how human shields work, Halil. I don't think you understand the concept. I think this is a bad exercise in propaganda. Quite frankly, as we know, the UN has done their own investigation before all this and found, as we've said, that they did not use human shields. And on top of that, we can prove Israel does as a matter of policy. But the main point is, this is just a bunch of statement. As Abu points out, were they carrying chemical weapons instruction manuals too? I mean, this is just getting insulting. 
That's the best you have because they're losing the information war. As well as Jonathan Cook points out, these comparative figures are jaw-dropping. Israel's daily civilian kill rate is so far more than 20 times that of Russia's and Ukraine. And that's before all the bodies in the rubble are counted. We don't, where, where are all the crimes of Israel, you know, Netanyahu war criminal? Well, maybe that's what will happen when they get him out of power and they blame it all on him, which seems like it might happen. But it's not. It's not just Netanyahu. In fact, it's, I would argue it's even more so the zealot extremists that are behind him. But, but Netanyahu, it just, I mean, I'm not trying to alleviate the accountability. He's a monster. But I just think that these extremists are going to be just as bad, if not worse. Ben Phillips points something out that's just unbelievable. So he went through these num- these names. And you can. There's a whole list released by Gaza Health Ministry and others of the names and, and ages of all the children that have been killed so far. As he says, he clicks this sort by age. He says there are six pages before you get to the one-year-olds. Six pages of people that are less than one year old that have died. Zero, 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 zero. These are infants. You want to talk about the 40 beheaded babies that they've already been proven to be lying about? Well, we don't need to go much farther than to see the six pages of under one year old that are dead. Well, Charmaine Narwani points out an important thing here in regard to the missing or the hostages and the way they're dealing with this. I think it's really important as we're watching all of these people got killed, which, by the way, includes their own people. I mean, I don't even know how we think that's not possible at this point. They've been bombing up and down. I mean, I showed you the map the other day. I mean, every single location all across North and South, they're bombing. I guarantee they've killed some of these hostages. I mean, that's the reality here, especially if they're the ones claiming they're using them to as human shit. Well, then you're the one trying to kill them. That's the Hannibal Directive. I think that's what we're dealing with here. But she points out, and this is what Barack Ravid is, is tra- this is what it translates to, Netanyahu made this statement. I made it clear to Blinken that we continue with all our might and that Israel refuses a temporary ceasefire that does not include the release of hostages. See, so we know he's lying. We know that he is playing on the ignorance of the average person who thinks that they refuse to offer that as a possibility, even though they've already offered that twice and it's been refused twice. Israel will not allow fuel to enter Gaza and, oppre- and opposes the transfer of funds to Gaza. Right, so you're, in general, they've already said that. We're never letting fuel in again, which guarantees that people in these hospitals will die. The incubators, the, the ventilators, the elderly, none of those people are Hamas. They know what they're doing. So does the United States government. They don't care. The main point I'm making here, as I posted down below, as I've already made clear, does it matter that Israel has twice refused a hostage exchange? The last one, simply asking for water, food, and fuel for civilians, even making clear to state that the UN can manage it so we make sure none goes to Hamas. Obviously, that matters. This shows you they care more about the agenda than the prisoners. This is a clip showing you 200 empty beds, which, by the way, include men, women, and children. But weirdly enough, it's only a bunch of children's beds. It's propaganda. That's what this is. The point is 200 empty beds. It's not 200 eight-year-olds. In fact, I'm wondering how many children at all, quite frankly, that's I'm sure we'll at some point have to find out unless they murder everybody there, which seems to be the plan. My point is they have already refused taking these people back. And I said, but they'll sure as hell use the idea of those they've twice refused to rescue to progress the agenda all by making you think the agenda is about rescuing those prisoners. When in reality, the agenda is what's killing the prisoners as they indiscriminately bomb exactly where they're held. And the real point, again, 
So he may, he's, he's arguing that should they offer, offer a temporary ceasefire that includes the release of hostages, that they'll do it. But they haven't offered that. They've only offered ceasefires without pot. That's not true. For those that may be saying that right now, here is the Washington Post again. And this is from October 26th, where even the Washington Post has made it clear Hamas was proposing first to release just foreign hostages in exchange for a five-day ceasefire. Okay, right there alone is hostages for a ceasefire. So Netanyahu is pretending that's never happened because he doesn't want these people back. Because they're going to come back and tell you that what happened was not what they're pretending they're doing. And then, again, that's one more hostage that comes out and says they treated us fine. Ruins their narrative. Israel will not allow or a temporary ceasefire that does not include release of hostages. Well, it goes on to say Israeli civilian hostages would be released if additional demands were met, which meant, which included, it says, uh, yeah, it says including the release of Palestinian women and children. So give us our hostage back and open the crossing so people can leave civilians and you know, food and water. And they say they will even let the UN do it. So nothing, no supplies reach them off. So in every possible way down here, they even say, look, they, they say, they're ready to release, or that what isn't it? There was one where they say, oh yeah, right here. They were ready to release them all. Ready to let them all leave. If you bring in the food. Okay, so they've done this twice. This is the second time Netanyahu publicly said no. And yet still has the gall to pretend that they haven't offered that deal. And that's why it hasn't happened yet. That's what desperation looks like. They've lost. People see it. If you, The evidence is everywhere. And here's still what the propaganda, the fourth, the fourth, is the fourth branch, of the government, which is the media, is doing. Faces of Gaza war hostages. Well, how much you how much want to make something interesting here to point out? Even the IDF released information to Haaretz. Argued that there was the the youngest age was I think four or five. That that was directly from the IDF. So why are we pretending there's a, an infant? There's a picture of an infant right there. Again, that came directly from arrest. That was their data. Well, it, they're clearly not 40 toddlers or babies, which is what they claimed. That's their information. It matters. But my point in general, 32 innocent children, bring them home. Well, isn't that weird, though? You have 200 be- children's beds over here. I mean, same point. It's just propaganda. My point is, they already offered twice. And you refused twice. Well, twice as far as I know. And then here is likely why. So we just talked about this. It's what was in this one. The released hostages exposed the narrative. Here's the actual video, right? Where you saw this. Where she comes out, they let her go, takes their hands, and says, Shalom. Right. And then goes on to give interviews where she says, they treated me fine. They gave me feminine hygiene. They made sure I was fed. We ate the same food. Very different than what we're being told, right? Well, guess what? That video on Instagram was deleted as hate speech. I'm not, this is legitimate. This is, that's all it is. This video where she's shaking the hand and leaves. There's no misunderstanding that. They don't want you seeing this. Whoever they is, the hierarchy enslaving you. Somebody leaned on this, likely the Zionist influence and said, take that down. We don't want people seeing that they were treated nicely. Why? Because you're being lied to. And then, of course, the absurdly fake chemical weapon allegation, which is laughably false. That's why they don't talk about it right now, because that was really embarrassing. 
I mean, they just, I don't know if they're just that bad at it. If they wanted us to see it. I don't know. That's, that's a book cover from a provable book. He claimed that was right out of Al Qaeda's chemical weapons diagram. That's what he said. This is Al Qaeda issue printed in English. Cause that makes sense. Right? So stupid. Well, here is Jonathan Cook pointing out that they're, and this is one more example of how provably they're trying to lie to you. I mean, I, I don't believe that everybody at the BBC is completely unaware of all the different statements coming from Israeli media where they, where they clearly tell you that IDF killed people. I just know they know their marching orders and they're not allowed to say that. But my point is, they so they know. Not a single mention as they meander through the kibbutz Be'eret. It says the kibbutz Be'eret has been a favored destination for BBC reporters keen to illustrate Hamas's barbarity. It is where Lucy Williamson headed once again this week. And yet none of her reporting highlighted comments made to the Israeli Herat's newspaper by Tuval Escapa, who you've heard, you know, the, the, the person who literally works security at that residence or uh, at that community. He said Israeli military commanders had, in fact, ordered the shelling of houses on their occupants in order to eliminate the hostages alongside the terrorists. I mean, well, I said it differently, but that's a direct quote. To eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages. That's a direct quote to Israeli media. I've shown you probably five times now. We talk about all of it in this one and, and, and others. Evidence shows Israel killed own citizens on the 7th. Robert also mentions it in the article I referenced earlier. And it says, nor did Williamson refer to the testimony of Yasmin Parat, who you've also heard from, who sought shelter in this area from a nearby festival. Parat told Israeli radio that once Israeli special forces arrived, they eliminated everyone, including hostages, because they were very, very heavy crossfire. That's just two of, I think, five examples we have on the record statements where they say they bombed it, they you know missile, they shot, they, they killed their own people. This is a fact. To what degree? That's what we have to find out. Are the images of charred bodies presented by the BBC accompanied by a warning of their graphic upsetting nature? Incontrovertible proof that Hamas behaved like monsters bent on the most twisted kind of vengeance? Or might those blackened remains be evidence that Israeli civilians and Hamas fighters burned alongside each other after they were engulfed in flames caused by Israel's shelling of the houses? Which, by the way, perfectly aligns with their provable Hannibal directive. Which is on, you can look it up. We've talked about it and done an entire show on it. They have a stated directive to do that so those people can't be used against them. It's, it's just so simple. Now, he also writes, the media are not joining the dots for you. But the evidence that Israel is preparing to cleanse Gaza and expel its population into Sinai is growing by the day. The leaked document, which, by the way, even WikiLeaks has confirmed, which means a lot. A leaked document from the Israeli intelligence ministry sets out on how to expose the expulsion into the Sinai can be implemented. Netanyahu was known to have recently lobbied EU states with some success to publicly back the expulsion of Gaza's Palestinians into Sinai. So this is beginning to seem like the actual point here. Israel has a peace policy, if you want to call it that, on the drawing board, known as the Greater Gaza Plan. Sound familiar? You should. The Greater Israel Plan is pretty much probably the same thing, approved by the U.S. since at least 2007, that requires transferring them all to Sinai. So it's pretty much the same thing. Leading Israeli officials have openly declared since October 7th the need to drive Gaza's population into Sinai. 
all of this is war crimes, guys. All of them are war crimes. Israel's public policy of turning Gaza into a place where no human can live is being affected on the ground as we speak. The details of Israel's ethnic cleansing program for Gaza are in his article where you can read right there. Again, WikiLeaks has confirmed this. You can argue they're not doing it, but this is an official Israeli document. But it's exactly what's happening right now. So did they allow this to happen to justify this and it's kind of blown up in their face? That would make a lot of sense to me. That's what they've done before. Seems like that's what a lot of Israeli citizens think. And now it seems like the Palestinians are, are a little more resistant than they expected. So I guess they're just bombing them into submission. But where does this break? Where's the breaking point? One more hospital? 3,000 more children? I mean, I, just, I don't know how long this can be allowed to go on. But your governments don't seem to care. And here is that example perfectly. We already talked about Josh Paul, a veteran official at the State Department who resigned because of their genocide. And now he's making sure you understand that they're now trying to hide weapons transfers. This is real, in real time. Biden is trying to make sure that you don't get to see what they do with Israel. Well, for freedom, of course, because that's the only thing that makes sense, right? Decided to resign for three reasons. Uh, the first and most pressing of which is the very, I believe, uncontroversial fact that U.S. provided arms should not be used to massacre civilians, should not be used to result in, in massive civilian casualties. Uh, and that is what we are seeing in Gaza uh, and what we were seeing, you know, very soon uh, after the October 7th horrific attack by Hamas. Uh, I do not believe arms should be, U.S. provided arms should be used to kill civilians. It is that simple. Uh, secondly, I also believe uh, that, you know, as your previous guest identified, uh, there is no military solution here. And we are providing arms to Israel on a path uh, that has not led to peace, uh, has not led to security, neither for Palestinians nor that. for Israelis. It is a, a moribund process uh, and a dead-end uh, policy. Uh, and yet, when I tried to raise both of these concerns with State Department leadership, there was no appetite for discussion, uh, no opportunity to, uh, you know, look at any of the potential arms sales and, and raise concerns about them, simply a directive to move forward as quickly as possible. And so I felt I had to resign. That's because Biden's a proud Zionist, as he says himself. And there's nothing on the table that's going to stop the Zionists from doing what they're doing. Not morals, not integrity, not human life. So talk more about that. Talk more about what kind of dialogue goes on at the State Department. And if you, for example, have met with Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, not to mention President Biden, to voice your concerns. And what about other uh, veteran State Department officials? Uh, so typically there is a very robust uh, policy process in the State Department for arms transfers. Uh, and there are a lot of those, right? So we're talking about about 20,000 arms sale cases a year uh, that the State Department processes. Which Yeah, because yeah, you're arms dealers. That's all that is. Just because you're a government doesn't mean you're not selling arms. And as many, many different international groups have continued to monitor over the last, I mean, 20 plus years that I've looked at, every single year, the U.S. government sells weapons to the worst of the worst. I mean, it's, it's easy to prove. They're lowest. They're ranked one of the lowest. They sell weapons to places where there's hostilities and where there's where they have the risk to be abused, where they can be sold in the black market. We watch it every day just because they yell freedom. Like, apparently, we don't care. 
could be anything from uh, bullets to radios to fighter jets. Uh, and for each of those, there is a lengthy process sometimes uh, that, that looks at, you know, what are the pros and cons of the sale? What are its human rights implications? Yeah. Uh, that has not happened in this context for Israel. Uh, I, and as I say, when I raised those concerns uh, against the existing laws, against the existing policies, uh, there was no appetite for that discussion. I have not personally uh, spoken to Secretary. They don't care. It's very clear. Now, to be clear as well, I'm not talking about even the ones you know of. I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia and Israel and these belligerent entities that are very clearly war crime committers. I'm talking about other governments around the world that we don't even talk about. Dumping weapons in the Middle East in different small fringe locations where they're building problems that we'll hear about in the next decade. Like That's what I'm talking about. They all see it, guys. People are resigning, and yet we just move along like a zombie nation, don't realize that this is happening, that we are being, that they're using your name to murder people in, in Gaza right now. Your tax dollars and your weapons to murder people in your name under a guise of fighting for freedom and what? Revenge, apparently. Apparently, that's now some kind of legal standing. Biden wants arms deals with Israel to be done in complete secrecy from Truth Out. This is from yesterday. Unbelievable. It says, in a highly unusual move, the White House has requested for it to be unable to conduct arms deals with Israel in complete secrecy, or to be able, excuse me. Why would, I mean, is that not the most obvious thing in the world? Why would that ever make sense anywhere? For freedom? For, because you're the moral side doing the right thing, so everybody let us do this in secret? That's not how this ever works. These are the bad guys doing bad things behind closed doors. And they're just, I, I mean, it just blows my mind. Without oversight from Congress or the public, in a time when the U.S. is supporting a military that ex experts has been, has experts say has been committing war crimes in Gaza and beyond. I love that. Experts say. It's an undeniable fact. You just can't deny it. You can argue there's an explanation, but war crimes have been committed by definition. I just even, even truth out apparently has to quibble about that. You got to be real about this stuff. It's like the injection. Deadly. Killing people. Critically, it says, such notifications to Congress are also logged in the Federal Register, Register, where they are viewable to the public. But the White House is trying to get rid of that transparency for Israel funding through September 2025. And potentially beyond, if Israel chooses to set aside funding before then. This is like the, the FDA documents for Pfizer stuff. Give us until 2025 and we'll just do this all secretly. What's going to happen until then? Why would you? Because they're aware we all see this. You're committing one of the largest genocide. This is, like I've said before, this genocide will be talked about for a thousand years. I'm not being hyperbolic. They see that. They see we see that. So... I guess they're asking our permission to do it secretly. <laughs> I think that's pretty ridiculous. Experts have said that they move, the move is alarming and rare. Quote, I've never seen anything like it, Josh Paul says, former director of Congressional and Public Affairs for the Bureau of Political Military Affairs in the State Department. He added the White House is already allowed to unilaterally approve foreign military transactions in emergency situations, but still has to notify Congress. The move then seems calculated to specifically create opacity around just Israel sales. Quote, this doesn't actually reduce the time. It just reduces the oversight. So literally, the only thing they're trying to remove is your ability to see what they're doing. That's crime, guys. Those are criminals. That's what that is. That's crazy. Now here is the, the UN Human Rights Office. These pe people are resigning in positions where we're supposed to look to. They tell us anyway, right? We're supposed to look to the UN human rights. Is everything okay? Are they breaking the law? Not today. 
You're looking to the government to say, we're right. And all the people we used to tell you to look to are lying today. That's like the same game of saying, trust the science. And all of a sudden, all the science says they're wrong. And they go, we're the science. That's what's happening right now. Difficult part of proving genocide is intent, because there has to be an intention uh, uh, to uh, destroy and whole or in part a particular group. In this case, the intent by Israeli leaders has been so explicitly stated and yep. publicly stated by the prime minister, by the president, by senior cabinet uh, ministers, by military leaders, that that is an easy case to make. It's on the public record. If we can allege that we see war crimes, crimes against humanity, as we have often done, there's no reason to exclude uh, where we see very strong evidence, the possibility of genocide uh, being committed. And I think you're going to be hearing that term more and more in connection with what we're witnessing in Gaza. I feel quite confident as a human rights lawyer in saying that what I see unfolding in Gaza and beyond uh, is genocide. Yep. It's as simple as that. I mean, it, it's really just that simple. This is not politics. It's obvious. It meets the definition more than anything I've ever seen in my life. And Claire Daly, this is his letter, by the way, we read before. It's scathing. Where he basically calls out what they're doing and, and references other classical genocides and that they're failing. He's, she, and this is Claire Daly saying there will be no hiding behind we did not know. Not this time. When the time comes for Europe and American leaders to answer for their active role in what's happening right now, we know they know. It's a choice, not a blunder. The whole world can see. We will not forget. This is what I was saying. Your choices have consequences. You are accountable for those choices. And this is not something where you can pretend you didn't know. And this is one of the largest reasons why. Zachary Foster points out, who's a historian on Palestine. I, I'm only kind of recently aware of his work. I, I really liked his last video. This is what I'm trying to show people. I mean, this it's mind-blowing. First of all, Rowan Talbot points out some politicians continue to argue that it's not the time for a ceasefire in Gaza, even with thousands dead. So here's a thread of major organizations, statespersons, and other notables showing leadership and calling for a ceasefire now. Now you can look through, this is every one of them. What he does is he just makes it easy. UNICEF, WHO, WPF, Pontifax, Oxfam, Save Children, NRC, Norway. Even Antonio Guterres from the UN, War Child UK, IR Worldwide. Uh, what's the, this one's uh, Christian Aid? Can't uh, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of these, but the point is, you know, a lot of U, the UN organizations, UN Human Rights, UN. This is the United Nations Development. My point is around the world, and this doesn't even include, you know, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Betselem, Oxfam. Oh, he does have Oxfam in there. UNICEF. Yeah, it's up at the top. The point is ceasefire. All of them. And yet they're still kind of going, well, I don't know. We, kind of, we don't know. We all want this. And this is what Glenn, uh, Glenn Greenwald made a really good point about. Yet another example, in my opinion, first of all, that these people do not represent you. They don't care what you think. They don't even care to pretend to look like they care what you think. They just sometimes align with some of the people screaming the most at the top. And they frame that as doing what they're supposed to do. It's obvious. They care about what the lobbyists think. I should play that video right now about the we don't live in a democracy point, right? Where you just never, your vote never translates to anything that matters. Princeton proved this in a mathematical study, and yet we still pretend like we're voting for something. Yet another example where the majority view 
of Americans in every political group diverges wildly from the consensus bipartisan view of the D.C. elitists. A large majority of Americans favor a policy calling for a ceasefire, which D.C. elitists not only reject, but declare to be taboo. They don't care what you think. They're speaking to something else. The Zionist influence, their lobbyists, all the same, doesn't matter. 66% of voters, and that's 80% of Democrats, 57, and think about what Biden's doing, 80% of them, not 50, almost 60% of independents, 56% of Republicans, 66% overall agree. And yet we're being told democracy. We're not doing that. It's, it's embarrassing. But hopefully, hopefully, in the midst of all of this horror and disgusting genocide, people can see and change their actions going forward. Not, not your government, guys. Not voting in one more, per, one more Epstein friend in here. No, because they're all going to do the same thing. U.S. House passes $14.3 billion only for Israel emergency aid bill. For a country that does not need that money, that constantly plays off the interest of the United States, but is in the middle of committing genocide, and we dump $14 billion in their hands on top of the $4 billion a year that already goes, or that's what they're proposing, I doubt the Senate's going to be okay with this, but here's the problem. As a U.S. House passes Republicans, Israel aid bill faces dead end in Senate, but I guarantee you I know what's going to happen. I, I think this tweet, uh, no, it's, I, I thought I included a tweet for that. What's here what's going to happen? The Senate is going to say, okay, well, if we include aid for Taiwan and for whatever, what, why that even comes in, I'm not sure, but they've been saying that, and for Ukraine. And they're going to go, well, compromise because, you know, we care across the party lines and blah, blah, blah. And guess what? They get what they wanted from the beginning, which is money for Israel, Ukraine, and whatever else they want to do. Nothing changes. All of this. The Nazis over there and the fascists over here. You know why? Because you're dealing with fascists. That's why. You're dealing with the actual people that are part of some of the worst atrocities in history. They have always pretended like they're fighting for freedom. Guess what, though? They're not allowing you to even call them out as Zionists anymore. This is Arnaud Bertrand pointing out, in France, the Senate has now outlawed in a new bill anti-Zionism. I mean, this is unreal, guys. Basically, the proposal is that insulting, insulting Israel in France would be punishable by two years of imprisonment and a 75,000 euro fine as they call, or, and, and separately, inciting hatred for, for or violence, inciting. So same thing. If I just go, Zionist government did this, and they say that's inciting violence. Apparently now I'm a criminal, even though they did do that. Would land you five years in prison, up to 100,000 euros. This is grotesque. You can read through all the differences. The point that I think stands out the most, this is right in the bill. Literally, insult committed whatever that means, insult, against state of Israel, by one of the means set out in the same article, 23, is punishable by two years of imprisonment. If you insult the state of Israel, as a French person, so there's no free speech, apparently, in France, as, as it pertains to Israel, what does this show you? They're completely co-opted by the Zionist agenda. They, 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 they still are desperate to make that about somehow in some insulting Jewish control over X, Y, and Z. That's not what I'm saying. I actually don't think that. 
They can scream all day. I don't think that. And my, my track record's completely clear because I, I, I really don't believe that. I believe the Zionists have always manipulated Jews as the Orthodox Jewish community has been making very clear for a long time. So what I see here, just like proud Zionist Biden, is that we have a Zionist agenda that was founded on terrorism that has been always about hurting whoever they can to get what they want, including trying to work with the worst of the worst, are now making sure using their assets they can make, they can literally in your country tell you you can't say what you think. It's mind-blowing. But this is happening. This is what desperation looks like. I mean, they're losing. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to try to lean on the politicians they control to say, make this happen. Here's part of how this is happening. Red Pill point this out. Who's who? The art of deception. It's edited, but this is a video that was put out by the by some kind of Israeli outlet trying to influence how people think. And you can see this is from the, I think it's the Haaretz logo. There's a little bit of overlap on this from somebody, but this is pretty powerful. We are, we've already proven this. There's, I think, 15 different major creators that have come out and said they tried to offer me $1,000 to say what they wrote for me here, which is that all Palestinians are bad and blah, blah, blah. It's very apparent. You're on Facebook, right? Israel wants you. Want to defend Israel? Log on to 4IL, download the app, and share the truth. Oh, and the truth is whatever they write for you to say, which is what this app does. A new anti-BDS app. tells you what to say look and gives you things to share and retweet this is why you see all these bot accounts out there that are verbatim sharing the exact same structure exact same thing because this is happening that folks daily missions and tells you what to do and how to say it yeah right see, see this is like, like the things you're seeing Israel sabotages dam to flood Gaza. Israel soldiers rape Palestinian children. You know the truth about Israel. I know the truth about Israel. It makes you angry and helpless. Isn't that creepy? That's part of, that's real. That's, I mean, these things are, like, they're literally, like, praising mindless following. Sponsored by Israel. 36.2 million budget devoted to fight delegitimization of Israel. You get the point. Wild. Well, this gets even more interesting. Jake Shields catches Israel doing what it tends to do, promoting that it controls other countries' actions. <laughs> like, which is Netanyahu's on the record in multiple videos openly saying this. It's not racist to point out that Netanyahu literally said that. And it would be racist to point it out regardless, unless you meant it in a racist way. You can't just call things racist to get away from acknowledging the reality. It says, today, the prime minister of Israel openly admits that they passed laws in America and nobody noticed. This was on the first. Imagine if any other world leader tweeted this. This is a clear violation of the FAR, that the foreign uh, assets or what is it? What does it stand again? Stand for again? Foreign... 
something act. Dang it, what was that again? What, give me in the chat. What does FARA stand for again? It's about foreign entities and essentially influence and in, in in overlapping in the country. Here's the actual tweet. And this is from 2020, mind you. It's not new. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Whoever boycotts us will be boycotted. The UN Human Rights Council is a biased body that is devoid of influence. Except that for the 400,000 times you pointed at them in between then and now. Against Iran, against Syria. Right, so they're only devoid of influence until you want to use them and then they're everything that matters. It's just so transparently ridiculous. Foreign Agent Registration Act, thank you. Uh, it says, not for nothing have I already observed, ordered its severing ties with it. Except they just got upset because Iran was being, like, it's just so, the games they play, it's embarrassing. But here's the point. It was also not for nothing that the American administration is taking this step together with us. No, not really. They're all still working with the UN. In recent years, we have promoted laws in most U.S. states. Think about that. The prime minister of Israel on the record saying you promoted laws in other states. I mean, of course, they're going to frame it as, you know, trying to work together for freedom. But can you imagine if this was Russia saying promote or our allies for that matter? If this was Germany saying they were working in U.S. states to pass laws. Does that seem weird? It should. Which determines the strong action is to be taken against whoever tries to boycott Israel. So that's the, that's the second part. So what they're saying is we have promoted laws that go after Americans who boycott Israel. That's what it says right there. And your government goes, uh-huh, we support that. It's, a, it's incredible. So they're more in line with supporting what Israel wants, even if it's against you as an American citizen that's supposed to be who they fight for. For those that act like this is a joke or not real, let's not forget, this is the e most, this is everywhere. This is from the, uh, October 20th, uh, 2017. This is after Harvey, Hurricane Harvey. This is one small example. It's everywhere in the country. It says, nearly two months after Hurricane Harvey soaked the Texas coastline, residents are still in the early stages of the costly and complicated cleanup process. Now, in one Houston suburb, residents hoping to receive aid after their lives were destroyed have to factor Middle East politics into their recovery. The city of Dick's, Dick, uh, Dickinson, Texas, located about 30 miles southeast of Houston, recently posted applications online for relief. You know, that comes from taxes and your, 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 this is a U.S. government concept. Relief from the funds that were generously donated to the Dickinson Harvey Relief Fund in the city's website says. So in this case, donations. Either way, the point is your government acting in an official capacity, which is your tax dollars, says here is some relief because of your tax funded process because of the hurricane. However, you have to sign something that says you promise you won't boycott Israel. That's what it says at the bottom of this application. Section 11 of the four-page document is titled Verification Not to Boycott Israel. That should scare everybody. For a hurricane relief fund? Why does that make any sense? Because it's gotten so invasive that it has trickled down to the smallest thing. The text reads, by executing this agreement below, the applicant verifies that the applicant does, one, does not boycott Israel, and two, will not boycott Israel during the terms of this agreement, which apparently are forever, because you're just signing to accept aid. And then, it goes, then you're going on using aid, and then it's not like you sign a document when you're done using the aid. This is terrifying. And the point is, they have been doing this as the Zionist government for as far as you can look. It's just it's always been taboo.
people are just finally open to how alarming this is. Now, we're all, of course, we're way past the time I wanted to get to, but I do think this part of it's important in general. Jake Shields points out, here are some of the men who founded Israel. And I've shown you some of this already. This is, listen to their words, what they did, and maybe you will finally understand. It says, in the War of Independence, we knew one simple this is if you killed, you did a good thing. It says, I was willing to kill. This one says, I didn't talk to anyone about it. So what about your wife? I assume you lived with her for many years. I never told her. As he laughs, he says, what am I going to tell her? That I was a murderer? And he laughs. <laughs> and the attitude was a combination of tough times, vengeance, cruelty. I mean, you get the point the same. I've already shown you most of this. The point is these people relish in what they did. Most cases, they're proud of the of the atrocities they committed against the Palestinian people. Now, Dan Cohen, I've already pointed out before, reiterates Ezra Yachin, who was this, uh, remember this, the oldest reservist, this guy who's speaking to the, to, the, to the other troops and saying, kill them all, erase all of them, kill every Palestinian, erase them from memory, right? This is the oldest living reservist. They all proudly talked about and all the corporate media shared him. Sort of, what a proud moment. He's a member of the Lehigh Party, which, come, which comes from the Ergun Party, which was a Zionist terrorist group, which again, they called themselves terrorists at that time. It says that twice attempted to ally itself with Nazi Germany. It's on the record. You can look it up on Wikipedia. These are the people that became... I mean, look, the Lehigh Party was kind of shunned in the beginning because it was so obviously just the worst of the worst until later they then kind of moved away from that. Now they give people a Lehigh pin to celebrate what's going on. Like, this is a cherished part of their history. And let's not forget, as I'll get to in a minute, actually, the history of what happened, you know, the Avi Shalom and the history of the Zionist bombing Jews to drive them into the area they want. Here's the Middle East Monitor pointing out the Zionist Lehigh Party was the last self-proclaimed terrorist group. And all this does is go over the reality of what they were doing. Secret files released by MI5 in December gave a fasting, and this was in 2018, released at this article, given a fascinating new insight into the bombing campaign which terrorized London in the years following the Second World War. This was carried out by some of the Zionist groups fighting to seize control of Palestine from the British government. They were bombing the British soldiers. They were bombing all sorts of people. They were these terrorists. Like the origin of this terrorist attack, bombing, suicide vest kind of conversation comes from the Zionist terrorist organizations and then the utilization of the Middle East scare tactics from the U.S. government combination of the war on terror. I mean, you could look back through history. This was something that was not as pr- what, the embodiment of what most Americans visualize when they think of Middle East terrorism was something that was created by these people. 
According to the files, Eden apparently carried out unopened letter bombs around for a whole day, or is the point in general, saying the bombs were sent by the Lehigh Party, also known to the British authorities as the Stern Gang. It's found Fander Abra uh, Abraham Stern, the most right-wing of the armed Zionist groups and active in Palestine. Lehigh was a splinter group from the Ergun, whose leaders in the late 1940s, uh, says he went on to become Israel's prime minister and invade Lebanon in 1982, killing more than 20,000 Lebanese and Palestinian people. Just what has been happening since. Now, we also know the infamous Sabra and Shatila massacres. Like we've mentioned these before, the, you know, one of the narratives they've said about the fetuses being cut out and beheaded and stuff. They're taking classic concepts that have been proven to be done by two Palestinians in their classic Zionist actions. Now, we even talk about Winston Churchill being, you know, let's remember it famously, wildly racist, as he says right here. Speaking of, I do not, for instance, with great think great wrong was done to the Red Indians, Indians of America or the black people of Australia. I do not admit that a wrong has been done to these people by the fact that a stronger race, a higher race, grade race, a more worldly wise race was put it that way has come in and taken their place. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a eugenicist, guys. The, uh, most of the worst people in history, because they won, are framed as some of the best. But he simply says it about Palestinian people. I do not agree that a dog in a manger has the right to the final main to the to right to the manger, even though he may have lain there for a long time. So it's very clear they know that they've been there. They just don't care that they're removed to take the territory. Now, going underground reiterates the Belfort Declaration. And I think what's important about this, Britain as a colonial power had no right to make decisions for Palestinian people. They did anyway. But what I think is interesting is we have to remember that they were bombing them. So I think this was more of an agreement. By force, either way, it says, Dear Lord Rothschild, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His Majesty's government with view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. He will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object, it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil or religious rights of the existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. Didn't happen. Immediately dispelled of them and destroyed them and attacked them and hurt them. So this, my point was they didn't acknowledge, they didn't abide by this for one second. Or you could argue the British didn't care about it or didn't even mean it. Either way, they illegally gave over the territory that was Palestine to the Zionist terrorist organization. That's what happened. Now, here are some examples of Israeli soldiers telling you what they did to Palestinians all this time since, showing you that they never abided by the idea that they were going to respect their religious or the, you know, the point was they immediately went to make the Jewish state alone, as even Netanyahu continues to say, which, by the way, remember, was Zionist using Judaism, not some legitimate concept of religious right. That's just not what happened. And these people have woken up to the reality and are now telling you what they did to people. The Israeli government would say this never happened. Sergeant of a sniper's team and one of the missions that I carried out was going into Palestinians' homes and using their homes as military posts. Um, and there are different reasons for soldiers to enter homes. It could be for uh, using the home as military posts for snipers or observation points. It could be using the home as a place for soldiers to rest if it's a very big or long operation. But it could also be sort of a random uh, uh, operation of, of searching and entering into homes. 
But I think the most important element is, and this is, I think, what motivated me personally to break my silence, was to understand the arbitrary of it, the arbitrariness of it, uh, the fact that the Palestinian family could go to sleep at night, and I think, you know, with, with COVID, um, you know, hitting around the world, we understand the importance of the safety of our homes, and understanding that for, for, for years out of, out of, out of my life, for three years out of my life and two years as I served in the occupied territories, my job was to make sure Palestinians will not feel safe in their homes. So there are prices to pay in the Israeli society for speaking out and the current Prime Minister and probably the future Prime Minister have both been part of incitement campaigns against us. Um, but with that said, there are thousands and thousands of Israelis that stand with us and support us and I think even more important than the price that we paid, we always put it in sort of a larger picture and understand that in the end of the day the price that we're paying is much smaller than the price of the Palestinians who have to live under our control and our might. And that's why even with the pressure and even with incitement, we will continue to break our silence. Even as they get attacked by Israelis. Now here's another one. X is from the same account, by the way, Jimmy Falk 5. Thank you for sharing these. An ex-Israeli IDF soldier describes how they would use psychological warfare tactics on innocent Palestinians. So they were always afraid, which is what this was always really about, making sure they never felt comfortable, that they always felt insecure. Imagine living like that. That's psychological warfare your entire life, 75 years. It's in town. They just finished training. The first time they're deployed, you don't want the first arrest operation they carry out to be the real thing. So you send them on a mock arrest before. You choose the most peaceful, quiet Palestinian village in the area where you served. Open an aerial photo of the village. Choose a random house in the village. Pick up the phone. Call the Secret Service. Make sure that the guy living in the house you've chosen randomly is innocent. And that by operating on him, you are not interfering in intelligence gathering operations that the Secret Service has in the area. Once you get the go, meaning he's innocent and you're not interfering in Secret Service business in the area, you come in the middle of the night, you surround the house, Grab the guy, handcuffed, blindfolded, as if it's a real arrest. Put him in a jeep. After five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, someone goes on the radio, says, end of exercise, stop the jeep, release the guy, go back to the base, and go to sleep. So you're probably wondering, why the hell to do it? Actually, soldiers who get these orders usually also wonder why the hell we're doing it. We know the guy's innocent, so why we're doing it? And they ask their commanders, and you know what many soldiers heard back? Mainly two reasons. One is training. As close training can be to reality, better. So if you can do it on a real Palestinian village, on a real Palestinian house, on a real Palestinian man, better. But the second reason is even more interesting. Think of it. A mock arrest is just another advanced way of making your presence felt. You go in the middle of the night to the village, surround the house, some noise, some movement, lights, shouting, military movement in the village, people wake up, they know you're here. They see you arresting a person that they know he's innocent. They're not stupid. Yeah, people in the village usually know. So they start to ask questions. Why the hell are you arresting him? He's innocent. But then they see that you released him. So what the hell is going on here? Arrest, released. Is he a collaborator? Yes, no. And they don't find the answers. They're even more scared. When you know what's waiting behind a corner, you can calculate. When you have no idea what's waiting around the corner, that's when you're really terrified, right? Because when the goal is intimidation, the lack of logic is the perfect logic. Prevention is, is a reality of constant intimidation of everyone, everywhere, all the time. There is nothing a Palestinian can do in order not to be intimidated. Yep. 
just a couple of examples of the reality, what they're doing to these people on a regular basis. Now, in interest of trying to be done in five minutes, I'm going to just try rapidly finish the last points here. So my, my general point in showing you this stuff is to come from, you know, the Belfort Declaration or the reality of the Lehigh Party and the founding of the Zionist movement and what they've done and then handing it over, handing Palestine over illegally to this entity, right? Now, this is what's been going on ever since. Now, just to show you an example of one of the most grotesque stories, Vanessa Bealey was just sharing this. This person said, let's talk about a woman's story. As you can see in this photo, these armed men with many guns are standing above this civilian woman, stripping her nude and dragging her through the streets. This photo belongs to a Palestinian woman called Ezra Jab uh, Jabis. She is now a prisoner in Israel, in occupation forces and prisons. She is a peaceful woman, a mother of one child called Mat Matassam, Ezra, and has been the happiest person ever. She was getting ready to move into her new home with her child and her husband in her car. She was bringing stuff and furniture to her new home. When she arrived at a mirror military checkpoint, her car was shot for no reason. It caught fire. Ezra's car caught fire while Ezra was inside in the car, which caused her to severe burns, covered 60% of her body. They stopped the ambulance from taking her to the hospital, which continued to ruin, hurt her even more. They took her out while she was injured and burnt, hauled her into the street, stripped her of her clothes. They continued to beat her, interrogated her as she screamed in pain as she was burnt, as you can clearly see, and arrested her for no reason. They denied her treatment in the absence of her charges, so they never allowed her burns to heal. Ezra is in pain. She was separated from her only child and forbidden to see him too. Now, by the way, Vanessa Bealey has covered this. This is a horrific story. She can only breathe through her mouth because the fire closed all of her nose. She lost her hands, her home, her child, and until today, Ezra's a prisoner in the, since 2015 and sentenced to 11 years. This is the reality of the democracy in Israel. So my point is, to show you that they never respected this reality. This is Hussam Zamlet from the PA, from the Palestinian Authority or Palestinian Liberation Organization, saying today marks, and this is on the second, yesterday, today marks 106 years since Britain issued its colonial Belfort Declaration, which gave our land away and reduced us to the non-Jewish population, because that's not entirely racist at all. The ongoing campaign of mass murder against our people in Gaza and all over Palestine is a stark reminder of the catastrophic consequences of that declaration. It is the responsibility of the UK to correct this historic injustice, demand an immediate end to Israel's aggression, recognize the state of Palestine, and collect international support to once and for all end Israel's occupation. My point, though, there's people that will argue this document is not even real. That, 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 those days are over. They have, it's obvious Palestine existed. Yes, as even uh, uh, Golda Meir said, yes, I was a Palestinian, right? The, the reality is there. The people, have, they've lost control of this. The truth has broken through. And now we see them for what they are, the Zionists. People that took people's land through acts of terrorism, even against the British government. And then apparently they handed it over and have committed genocide ever since. And they're still to this day acting in this way. Here's Dan Cohen. Israel's uh, uh, MK minister, what it was MK? Michelle Waldiger. Israel lawyer and politician. Current member of the Knesset. Doesn't say what she was. What's the MK stand for in their, in their power, in their structure? In any case, a member, a politician. Quote, and I read this earlier because it was in that, in the other, the thread. They are Amalek and we need to erase them. Genocide. So, so following suit from all those years ago, erase them. Venice Abila pointing out a not genocidal at all. The Israeli Minister of Heritage. Northern Gaza is more beautiful than ever. We already showed you this one. Now that it's being 
blown up. That's what he's saying. More beautiful than ever. Blowing up everything is amazing. When finished, we will hand over the lands of Gaza to soldiers and settlers who lived in Gush Ketaf. Oh, right, because you're, because you're letting the Palestinians back after they get out of the way? Oh, I guess not. Clearly, as the UN human rights individual is telling you, they're all very clear about this. Biden and Macron and Sunak, and they're all liars. They all know they're, they're clearly going, we want to kill them all, and then acting like you're a racist for pointing that out. Now, this is the former public diplomacy minister. (laughs) It's hilarious. Erase all of Gaza from the face of the earth. That the Gazan monsters will fly to the southern fence. Yeah, to Egypt is where they want them to go. And try to enter Egypt or they will die and their death will be evil. Gaza should be erased. Totally not trying to kill all Palestinians, right? Because we're crazy, apparently. Israeli centrist journalist called for genocide the day this started. In the context of what Israel is making the the argument, obviously, 75 years of occupation and plus is what we're really talking about. But since the beginning of what they claim this whole thing, October 7th. So my point is the day that they take hostages. So when you stand up on the day that happens and say, if all the captives are not returned immediately, turn the Gaza Strip into a slaughterhouse, which, by the way, would include your hostages. If a hair falls from their head, execute security prisoners while they're holding your hostages. Violate any norm on the way to victory. That's what he said. I showed you this already. So do we think they care about the hostages? Clearly they don't. David Eli, one of the most obviously grotesque people right now in their genocidal glee. This guy really showed who he was. F around and find out, he says. So are we still talking about Hamas, David? Or we're not, clearly. We're talking about murdering Palestinians as you chuckle about how great that is. He's a terrible person. Like, I'm just done playing games and mincing words with genocidal glee. This is a civilian location, I guess, because Israel just goes, Hamas, and he goes, yay, murder. Well, as his own follower says, you're saying it's like it's okay to completely level a city that's predominantly full of civilians? Isn't a good look. People begin to see who he is. Well, here's another example. As he, this person points out, vying for that APAC campaign funding. Well, we already saw this guy. Here's what he has to say. As a whole, I would encourage the other side to not so lightly throw around the idea of innocent Palestinian civilians, as wow. is frequently said. Uh, I don't think we would so lightly throw around the term innocent Nazi civilians <laughs> during World War II. I, these, I mean, again, do you think he's actually that stupid? Or is he just so compromised that he'll just make up arguments that he knows are childishly stupid? Are we talking about Nazis or are we talking about the German citizens? Right? Because the analogy would actually be that the German citizens aren't that innocent. Why? Because they're in Germany. Why didn't they overthrow Nazi? Why didn't they overthrow Hitler? It's their fault. Right, guys? Isn't that the same argument? All of the German citizens that chose to not flee are now complicit? We see, whoa, he's comparing the innocent Palestinians who they by default still say are guilty because they're present with Hamas. What he's saying, what his equivalent will be is us saying innocent Hamas members versus innocent Nazi members. Are you really pretending like he can't tell that difference or is he just that stupid? You know why he's doing this? Because he's involved. This is the guy who wore his IDF uniform as an American politician. That means you have an American politician who is literally part of a foreign military. Because that's not weird at all. It really is. 
I don't know of any other country that would even allow this. And of course, his argument is, well, she's got her flag. Well, she has a flag in support of an occupied territory. People wave other flags all the time. People don't go put on German uniforms when they want to support Germany. That's really, really strange. And it begins to show you what's really going on. As I said, these are people with power over your lives who are either incapable or unwilling to see the difference between innocent Nazis and innocent Germans during Nazi control. We are talking about innocent Palestinians, not innocent Hamas. This is either ignorance or deception. I mean, that's really terrifying, guys. These are people in power. Not leaders, but people in power. I just think that's real. I really want to reiterate that. To argue that all German people would have been a willing or a, a, a legal target because Hitler was in control. But no, we see the way we look at history is we go, oh, we liberated those people from Germany because Nazis were bad. So the argument should be we should liberate Palestinians from Hamas. But, you know, they just don't care. They don't even like their own historical narratives that they use to justify what they do against other people. Just, it's just round and round conflation and contradiction. It doesn't make any sense until you realize that we're being lied to. And even Candace Owens points out, yeah, this was disgusting, utterly dehumanizing. Of course, there are innocent civilians on either, uh, either side of every conflict. And we should not forget that. This is shameful in human rhetoric. So what I'm, you know, I'm seeing people like, like I, I think I disagree with a lot about Candace Owens or any, most people in the paradigm. What this is showing me that at some core level that she's at least projecting that she cares, has a heart. I'm starting to draw some interesting lines here. I'm not saying I believe, I still think people in the paradigm are completely compromised or would ignore things that Russia did or China did or, you know, however that game is played within people that are blind spots because of the paradigm. But at the very least, Candace can be like, yeah, you're a monster because people are innocent. These are the people we need to start making, these people. Anybody that's not acknowledging what she just said is somebody that you should never forget. People like Dr. Eli David, who I already showed you before. And this is not, this is a new tweet, by the way. He's made this same tweet like three times. He says, millions of Syrians refugees fled to Turkey. Now, first of all, it's so wildly oversimplistic. That's not even, there's a, there was a whole, remember how crazy that was? Turkey saying we wouldn't let them in. Remember how, they were, but see, he just pretends like that's not there. Syrians with Turkey and it was all happy and fun, Right. His comparative, he's, what he's trying to do is going, but nobody wants the Palestinians. See the difference? That either means David Eli, Dr. Eli David is either that ignorant to what just happened in Syria, or he's choosing to misrepresent it in order to lie to you about what's happening today. It's probably both, but the reality is these people are very, very dishonest. The point is the Syrian refugee problem is still being dealt with. I don't mean a problem because of their existence. That's because of foreign policy, the problem that the foreign policy created when they made all those refugees. But it was very complicated. They're still dealing with that. The point is, they did so because all of Syria was occupied by the occupier. What the, see, again, the argument he would be making to try to make these make sense would be as to say that, you know, so it, like this, the U.S. government is the occupier of all of Syria and the Syrian refugees fled to Turkey. It's not like they would flee into Syria where you're occupying. The point would be this, his analogy would be like saying that Palestinians should flee into Gaza. Doesn't make sense, does it? Or what would make sense is they would flee into Israel, seeing as how that's not Gaza, and that they pretend they're trying to keep those people safe. Every one of their actions expose how wrong that is or how, what liars they are. 
But he says millions of Ukrainian refugees fled to neighboring countries. Note how he didn't really include almost all of them were really unhappy about it. Most of them other than it's just so funny how he's tried to make this simple. But Egypt announced that they will not allow a single Palestinian. Well, no, what they said was they would risk lives to defend their territory. Now, that to me means more about Israel and how they'll deal with this once Palestinians are in Egypt, because clearly Egypt sees what they're doing. We all see the plan that's been laid out. We all see how openly they've talked about trying to move them into the desert. They don't want to become the ones saddled with the problem Israel's created that Israel will then hold them accountable for. And I'm not trying to say Palestinians are a problem. I'm saying the way that the countries like U.S. and Israel are dealing with this makes it a problem. That is what's really going on. But then he says, why are they so why are they so hated? Maybe because Egypt knows them too well. And this is the point they made the other day. That is grotesque. It's the same as saying before, as I made the same point then. Remember when it was very common, people say, well, you can't let the blacks in. They're going to rape your women or whatever they said. Those are horrifyingly disgusting people. You're a racist and you should not be taken seriously. To say that every Palestinian is somehow all bad, which is what he's made many, many times that point, makes you a gross person who has no real human compassion. You're just, you are racist and you're a bigoted person who thinks every Palestinian is so gross and so bad and evil and whatever that they just know them and so they won't let them in. It really makes me uncomfortable. These are the kind of people that need to be called out. And as I simply said, your unbridled hatred and bigotry is made all the more disgusting by you attempting to frame it as virtue. You're a horribly racist and bigoted person, and we all see you. Can you tell this bugs me? This person says, in all capitals, because we know he's serious, Hamas is a brutal terrorist group. There is simply no place in America for terrorist sympathizers. Okay. (laughs) These are kind of statements that we're dealing with. This shouldn't even be taken seriously. I said, so the infants in hospitals are terror sympathizers or the disabled or the 70 plus UN members killed so far in protected locations? Not even Israel's claiming that. Your hatred is showing. And that's the truth. Now, David Collier points out, they say this is about Palestine. It isn't. That's where we are. The Arabs chased the Jews out of Iraq, Morocco, Egypt, Syria, Algeria. Well, that's how the story goes. A million Jews ethnically cleansed. Most fled to Israel. So when they say free Palestine, it means they want to finish it. Well, first of all, even if everything he said first was true, that doesn't have any bearing on what I think when I say that. This is the kind of ignorance that's being presented as award-winning journalism, who this person apparently is. That's an award-winning journalist who somehow is unable to see that he's he's just uh, claiming he knows what everybody thinks when they say that. I mean, that is like the lowest level of ignorance. Or he's shilling for something. But let's not forget, Avi Shalom very interestingly has some context in regard to what happened in Iraq. As he says, they chased them out of Iraq. Oh, did they? Well, here's what Zionists had to say about it. The Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites the series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, 
were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. Well, what do you know? Right? I mean, the point is that it doesn't mean that there wasn't what he said could be true, too. The point is, we have proof, not just because he says that, but because there's plenty of evidence, as we've gone over many times, that shows that they were committing these acts. They were terrorist acts. I mean, they were bombing the British to get the Palestinian mandate in the first place. They were carrying out terrorist acts in order to create the justification to do what they wanted for power. And that's why they tried to align themselves with Nazi Germany twice, once with Stalin. This is on the record. If you could look it up on Wikipedia, I've already shown it on the show. But here's what happens when anybody who is also Jewish decides to try to say something that goes against the Zionist agenda. Suddenly, they become disgusting trash, as Ben Shapiro called them. This is a rabbi standing up and interrupting Biden and saying, all they want is a ceasefire. This is how they get treated. Because if oh you my care God. about Jewish people as a rabbi, I need you to call for a ceasefire right now. Sit down. Get out. Yeah, that's so a ceasefire, right? A, a Jewish woman who's a rabbi stands up and says, please stop a ceasefire because I care about me. Get, get out of here. You're, no, your peace love isn't welcome here. Like these people are acting like they're supporting freedom and life and, and, and whatever they, democracy. And that's how they respond to a ceasefire, right? Well, here are Jews in Israel constantly attacked by Zionist police. It says the Jews' only crime was to worship. Zionists cannot even tolerate Jews praying. This is what Torah Judaism is writing. Shocking, watch Orthodox Jewish man bleeding from the police brutality. so many of these. I mean, the, the bottom line is that these are Orthodox Jews that are simply standing up and saying things like ceasefire or that they protest against what they're, and they beat the living hell out of them. Isn't that, isn't that anti-Semitic? It's just, it's, it's completely, which I don't mean that in the, obviously we've talked about what Semites really are. My point is in the way that they frame these things, it's just, it just shows you that they don't care about any of it. It is all a narrative that is used to protect certain actions by Zionists. Here, is a really terrifying example of what they really think. Here's a Zionist woman walking by these Orthodox Jews. So you'd think that if this was Zionism was about what you know believing in Judaism, that she wouldn't walk by the most Orthodox Jews and say this to them. Uh, 
In case you didn't hear that, she says, Hitler made one mistake. He didn't, you weren't in the gas chamber. And then she goes to the next guy and says the same thing. Too bad. Hitler made a mistake. You should have been in the gas chamber. Too bad. And you're going to go to hell. So, Explain for me how a non-Orthodox Jewish woman, who doesn't necessarily mean that they're not, they're less religious, but typically an Orthodox Jew or Orthodox Christian, they're very religious, right? So here's a, a, a Jewish Israeli saying he's going to go to hell for what? For believing more than her in Judaism or for the idea that she believes that Palestinians have a right to exist? You see, now what we're getting into here is what Zionists really believe and it sure as hell isn't what you think. That's terrifying to me. And also saying Hitler made one mistake? Really? Well, that's interesting. I'm pretty sure he made all mistakes. But if you pretend the only one mistake he made was not putting this person in the gas chamber, well, you're pretty clearly stating something other than what we usually hear. Maybe they just didn't realize they were being filmed. Well, here at Ben Shapiro exposing the same reality. Pakistan apparently is expelling 1.7 million refugees. This is November 1st. Just bulldozed migrant shelters, which is horrific, disgusting, and should be called out as a war crime, right? But apparently Ben Shapiro doesn't think so. He says, well, no Jews involved, so no problem. Well, that's gross. Of course it's a problem. Well, obviously, he's trying to make it into that we don't care, right? That somehow we don't care because we only care when Jews are involved? That's not true. Obviously, I mean, obviously, we're the ones going, look at the Jewish Israelis that are being manipulated. Look at what's happening. The point is, he is in this bizarro world where apparently this, he lives in this world where only people, everyone only hates Jews and it's the only thing that matters. And we can only care about racism against you. When in reality, what we're pointing out is Zionism that's murdering Arabs in real time. And allowing Israeli Jews or Israelis in general to be killed for their agenda. But what's really important is that we care about civilian lives. Pakistan expelling refugees should be obviously called out. But for some strange reason, he states, well, it doesn't matter because Jews are involved. Now, do you think he means that? Or do you think he's trying to suggest that we don't care because Jews are involved? I don't even see how that even makes sense. Because wouldn't he argue that we only care about the Palestinians? Like, I'm just not sure where he's at with this. I feel like he's just so desperate to make this about one thing that he's just exposing himself. I just think that's gross, man. I mean, look, Jake Shields says that sucks, but at least America isn't paying for them and their own land. I'm not even, oh, I think he's trying to argue about Israel. That was a terrible response in my opinion. But I mean, the, the obvious point should be like, well, I care about that. Why don't you? Right? I mean, it's, it's just a very gross thing. He's really showing that he doesn't care about people. And then I'm just going to end with this and one other point. This is really, this really, this kind of, this got me. I have to be honest. It's really hard to watch what these people are going through. This person says, I'm done. She's just, she's at her wit's end. Her house was blown up, doesn't have food, doesn't have water, doesn't know what they're supposed to go. When they go here, they bomb them. When they stay here, they bomb them. Can you even imagine what that must be like? Watching your family suffer. This is what every one of them is dealing with. I can't do anything. There's no house. There's no water. There's no food. There's nothing. Am I going crazy? I don't know. I may be going crazy. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Please. 
Oh, my God. We're pleading. We're pleading and we're pleading. Stop this. I'm not mature yet. I'm a child. I'm a child, for God's sake. I'm a child. I said, Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Arab, Where is the Arab word? Where is the Islamic word? Where are the people? Oh, we're crying and we're crying. We don't know what's going to happen anymore. How am I going to live knowing that my brother's going to be a martyr soon? How am I going to live thinking that my brother could die before me when he's younger than me? I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be a martyr because of the bombing. I want my family to know I've been killed. I want them to see that I was killed. So the world knows they are selfish. They are not human beings. I get angry every time. I don't understand. I don't understand. Please stop this. God, <clears throat> and you know, the, the obvious point, first of all, is that People who want to misframe this, like people we're looking at right here, David, Eli David or Ben's, whoever the point is, that they would argue saying martyr is about terrorism. It's just another term that they misrepresent. The point is when they bomb them and they get killed, they call those martyrs. Not because they're acting in some resistance, but just because they're murdered and their name will be remembered. They were martyred. They took them. Out. That's how that the point is that she's simply saying my, my young little brother is going to be killed and everyone needs to see this. And then the second part of saying that they're not they're. They're not human. Of course, she's, they're going to pretend that she's talking about Jews, and she's not. She's talking about the Israeli government that is continuing to murder them. It's just such a grotesque contortion of the obvious reality. And the bottom line is that these people are innocent, and they're just caught in the middle of this. What do you think that's going to do to her perception of every person who's allowing this to happen? It really, really needs to bother us. Because then she'll get called the very thing that they turned her into if it ends up that way. The point is that this is how they're framing all of this, and yet they frame somebody like her as the terrorist. Marwana Osman points out Zionist pigs are calling for the massacre of Lebanese civilians. Who will be in that crowd tomorrow watching Saeed Hassan Nasrullah, which he just had a speech? David Eli, Dr. Eli David, excuse me, says tomorrow at three, Hassan Nasrallah will be, all Hezbollah leaders will be on this podium giving a speech, just saying with a bullseye. It's a publicly, it's a massive public display. Now you could argue he's joking, it doesn't matter. These people are belligerent and it's good to know who they are. Now, in general, in the West Bank, we just need to realize that these people are carrying out atrocities, as you even heard the corporate media report. Before October 7th, this member of the Knesset was leading a pogrom in the West Bank village against Palestinians. This week, he was appointed to the head of the Knesset subcommittee on the West Bank, because that's how that works, you see? And that's why we're now seeing this take place, as Beth Selim, the leading human rights group in Israel. An Israeli human rights group is saying, settlers torching shops and cars to the entrances of their villages. As you can see video evidence of, showing you burning their homes and their cars. This is what's happening because of the Israeli government allowing it. Armed settlers are attacking a Palestinian village. Hearing now from Palestinian local authorities, we have just spoken to them. They're saying that, in their words, tens of settlers have attacked the nearby Palestinian village. Um, and... According to local authorities, are burning shops, are burning cars. I just had a look at some video that reportedly comes from the scene. Indeed, a lot of black smoke coming from that village. 
Um, obviously, a very worrying situation given the level of. Look at the way he's walking that guy. I mean, it's it's it, these are this guy's in his underwear. These people have been taken from their homes, and you, and you can't you even can't just even walk with him. Arresting him unjustly is not enough. No, you have to force his head down as you're walking to try to embarrass him to try to make it more difficult because this is hatred. Tension right the way across the West Bank. Subsequent, obviously, to these raids that started on October the seventh, following the Hamas attacks inside Israel. So a very worrying situation potentially there. And as you rightly say, there were a number of raids, Israeli army raids made in various areas across the West Bank in the early hours of this morning. One in the town of Kalkilia, which is in the north of the occupied West Bank. Um, apparently uh, at 8 a.m. there was a, a house that was raided um, and a 19-year-old boy was arrested, sorry, was killed in that raid yeah good children in the west bank right where hamas is not but we're, we're all just going to conflate everything and pretend like well it must be hamas because that's what cowards do there's plenty of cowards today well the israeli army is now forming settler militias to recruit settlers who have not undergone military service in order to post them as defense militiamen with rapid ra training you're taking people that are already violent and aggressive, already shown to be extremists, and giving them weapons and now giving them authority. They already had most of that, but now you're publicly doing so. And even saying that we'll give people these positions, even if they've committed crimes, as long as they care about that, they really want the job. That's what, they're, that's what this says. They're willing to overlook criminal records. It's just, it's just disgusting. Now, Netanyahu is seemingly being pushed out. I believe that's going to happen. We have the United States government already trying to conflate the entire thing. Israel, Ukraine, Iran, Russia, it's all the same. We all need to realize that they're all against us. That's what's happening right now. They're literally trying to pretend like this is all one thing so they can marshal all of your hatred towards the axis of evil. And that will whitewash what happens right now. And here they are citing Winston Churchill, you know, because that's what they do, who again famously said, never let a good crisis go to waste. That's who these people are. This is the Atlantic Council. I'll cover most of this as we go forward. The point is you have people pulling their ambassadors from Israel. You've got the Russia sending weapons to Hezbollah. Like they're driving this into exactly what they pretend the bad guys are making it. They're doing this. Honduras, Bahrain, Bahrain, pulling their ties. These are, these are groups that have normalized. They're now pulling their ambassadors from Israel because the world sees this and people are taking sides. And quite frankly, it seems very clear to me that most everybody on the, the U.S. government does not have the power to stand with Israel against what is amassing. People that are standing on the side of justice, standing on the side of the occupied, fighting against the oppressor. That's what we're watching. I'm not saying every single person in this is a good guy or doing this for the right reasons. But people have taken their political sides at this point and the writing's on the wall. Even people resigning in the State Department. People resigning from the UN. Guys, this has never been more clear. This will never be the same. They will never be able to recover from this, which scares me because that feels like a desperate move, that they need to act desperately, act belligerently because they've already lost. Talk about the Samson option, nuclear weapons. I mean, these are real things. I'm not trying to put, you know, be hyperbolic and scare anybody, but we need to realize the belligerence of our governments have led us here. That's why we need to take better action. And I don't mean voting in somebody else for crying out loud. Let's grow up from the reality that our checking boxes to people that are obviously criminals makes no difference on their criminal acts.
we need to start taking responsibility for our own actions and for the actions of the people we've allowed to run over us for however long this has been happening. I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I think we all see what's going on. We got to stop letting the screamers in the paradigm who we all seem to see are, are lost in their political you know, agendas from guiding the conversation when it matters. There's so many people on Twitter that like to pretend that everyone's on their side or on social media. We all see it. I don't mean we all agree, but we all, and I mean that, like I can sense this with every, every story. What's going on with Israel? The Pfizer, COVID-19 shot, everything. People are seeing that something is wrong and they're willing and ready for something different. So when you feel that way, don't turn around and take the next narrative they put in front of you. Be ready for change. Be ready to stand for change. It's time. I'm just so tired of how grotesque this has gotten and how many people are suffering. We need to start using what's happening here to actually marshal change. That's what people want. That's what the Palestinians want is something different, something change. I mean, that's why, why do you think they stand out there throwing rocks when they're getting sniped in the head? It's because they want you to see what they're going through. They want you to stand up and find the courage to go, I can't let that happen anymore. Take Find the courage within yourself to stand up for what you know is right, for the people that have been broken and stood on for decades under the guise that it's the right thing or that it's our ally or whatever nonsense reason we're spun. These people are not doing good in your name. Stand with me and anybody else that is trying to change that, whether or not we have all the answers in the moment. Thank you for continuing to support this platform and everything we're fighting for because it's important, as you guys well know. You can support us in a lot of different ways. It's all down there below if you want to check us out and support us. Guys, we need your support. We need to grow. We need to get to a place where we can keep fighting this in a way that we can make real changes as fast as possible. I just think that's important. So thank you for tuning in, guys. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel, mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And, and there are four major human rights groups in the last two years mm -hmm. who issued similar reports reached the same conclusion. Israel mm -hmm. is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation state law, which says mm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to self-determination mm -hmm. in Israel. Unique <laughs> means exclusive. Yes. It means Arabs have no right to self-determination. Mm -hmm. It means even if Arabs became 
a majority, mm -hmm. they would still have no right to self-determination. Mm. So but most certainly Zionism is a, um, is a racist ideology mm -hmm. and it is largely responsible for the Anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century mm -hmm. and continues today.